Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans for the fans. Ladies and gentlemen, cats, snakes, chickens, ducks, elderly people, and twerkers. Welcome back to the Raging Review Podcast. Nick, Jerry, me, back again. Lots to talk about. Coming at you on the heels of a mini-series midweek sweep of a team that I personally love to hate. We were just talking about that as a group. You know, Rice has played an interesting role in our history as a baseball program. Nick and Jerry, what did you see at Rice? What did you see that encouraged you? What did you see that discouraged you? You know, it's funny. In the first game, when we were, I think Rice maybe had an early lead on us, and and there was really no texting going on. I think I was busy. Jerry was busy. You were doing something. And you texted, like, in the middle of the game going, boys quiet? You scared? What's going on? Um so, yeah, there was a little bit of concern. I mean, our, our, our starting pitching wasn't that great. We were giving up runs, and we weren't hitting the ball. It felt like another carryover from the UTA series. But, again, later, later in the game, our, our bats came around um, tonight. Or, or, you know, the, the second game was unbelievable how we, how we dominated them in that game, in game two. So, yeah, um, happy – with with the outcome, obviously, run ruling them, uh, ending it in the eighth. And I think we touched on it during the, the Twitter space earlier. It was was playing midweek good or bad. It, it could have been bad had we lost one of these games, but it, it obviously went our way. And, and I think it's really going to propel us and give us confidence going into the weekend. So, um, yeah, pleased the way things turned out, obviously, and glad to see a lot of players get some playing time in the end game, too. Um, that was important, I think. Mason Zambo got in the game. Austin Garrett. I think uh, Connor Higgs might have scored a couple runs or he he. RBI single, I don't remember, but he got a couple uh, of hits for sure. Yeah, so it was good to see. It was good to see these these guys get some playing time. Bryce Callaway, I don't think he's he's been on the mound the entire season. He got he got some time on the mound. So I think that's the the biggest takeaway that I've had from from this week's game is that guys were able to get out and and get some playing time. That'll be important as we go down the stretch into the tournament. I was nervous. Um, on the Twitter space on Monday about these two games, because I knew they could have been RPI killers. If we dropped one, I also knew that rice being back at home would have kind of given them a little bit of a boost. You know, when you go play at home, you play in your environment, you have a team coming in and in the race for a chance at a regional bid, it kind of, it gets you up regardless of your record, but the Cajuns responded pretty fast. Uh, Yesterday they scored those two runs in the first inning, but like Nick said, 
got kind of lackadaisical in the middle innings. And, you know, we I mean, to be honest with you, I was a little worried, probably around the fifth or sixth inning where we couldn't get on base. Every time we got on base, we, we hit into double plays or we just didn't, we couldn't score. And then all of a sudden in the seventh inning, we start to rally and then the bats just turn on. And so we were able to finish that game pretty strongly. Um, Debo, Julian Brock, or I'll just say their full names, Kyle DeBarge, Julian Brock, and Heath Hood each got three hits last night. That's huge going into this weekend. Um, I thought that was very impressive. They they finished the game with 15 hits, so the bats really came alive. I was glad to see Austin Perrin get some time on the mound. He was he was credited with the win last night. So that was a really big win. And then going into tonight, it was a little worrisome going in because, you know, Rice has seen us before, and obviously you play a team more than once. They, they, they can figure fig, figure you out. And I thought tonight, same thing happened. Rice jumps to an early lead, and then all of a sudden the Cajuns hang 16 runs on them with a bunch of guys that really don't get much play time uh, chipping in and playing um, and, and contributing. You know, it's nice to see guys like Connor Higgs and Zambo get some experience. And, I mean, uh, once again, Kyle DeBarge, three hits tonight, second night in a row. And Bobby Lede, three hits, another one. Um 18 hits overall tonight. Uh, that's 33 hits in two games. 33 hits in two games. And credit Chipper Menard. Uh, we really haven't seen a lot of him lately, but he got the win tonight. So two two pitchers that have really grinded throughout the season haven't, you know, they've been kind of up and down with experience and whatnot. I was glad to see both AP and Chipper get the wins. Um, but if there's any if there's any way to have momentum going into Friday night, I thought the way we played these two nights was exactly what the doctor ordered going into San Marcos. You just run rule the team on the road. And so now, you know, we need to carry that momentum into San Marcos this weekend because we're going to need every ounce of that energy we brought yesterday and today into this weekend. And so I actually think that can be an advantage for us. Um, you know, we, we've, we've weathered some storms these past two days where, where I know the team is on a high right now. And, you know, you're going up against a team that had to play an inter-squad scrimmage this week. Texas State didn't have a midweek game. And I know they're going to be ready for us, but us kind of getting that experience these past two days, I feel a lot more comfortable now going into Friday night than I did Monday night on the Twitter space. Um, you know, I was deathly afraid of Rice because of the repercussions if we would have dropped the game. But I think this team understands, like uh, Coach Babb said, you got to treat every game like Friday night. And that's what they did these past two days. So congratulations to the team that tonight. That's 30 wins on the year. And um, let's keep it going, you guys. I'd be remiss if I didn't go back and mention, we did all that damage in game two without Rockefeller. I mean, Rock wasn't even in the lineup. He wasn't there. True. Um, so that was even more impressive, man. We did that without without our best hitter. I, I hope Max can break out of whatever funk he's in. Uh, he did have that that sacrifice. Um, I think he scored two two RBIs off of off of a sack. But he um, yeah, I hope he breaks out of that funk. I thought it might have just been, you know, the, the stomach thing from the weekend. But that seemed to carry over uh, through the week. So hopefully he can he can find a swing this weekend as well. I'm not worried about Max. He's just so very good at his role. He's a perfect person to be in that role, and it's a perfect offense for him. It's a great point about Rock in game two because, obviously, when's the last time we had a hitter that's been as steady as Rock throughout the course of a season? I can't remember one. Maybe Stefan Trostler, his, all, his All-American year. Maybe. Uh, but but Rock has just been the, the lifeblood of this offense for such a – 
a, a long part of the season and, and really crucial moments where literally nobody else was hitting. So it was it was going to be interesting how he performed or how the lineup performed without him in it. I, I love that. Listen, Julian Brock is absolutely scorching right now. Heath Hood might be even hotter than Julian Brock. Uh, Debo got, like you said, Jerry, he got three hits in game two. Uh, you, you've got Bobby Lede had three hits in game two. You know, I mean, so you've got the bottom of the lineup. There's a very crazy stat over the last couple of weeks, and it's like five through nine is hitting over 400 in over a two-week span. They're, they're basically supplying the offense. And go back to Sunday against UTA when the top of the lineup was 0 for 14 with a walk, and literally the bottom of the lineup carried us through that game. And and I think Trey LaFleur was hitting sixth or seventh in the lineup on Sunday, and he had the biggest hit, a couple of big hits in that game, and and really in the weekend. So the lineup is showing that it's versatile, it's healthy, it's complete, it's it's long, right? You stick line, you you stick Carson Rockford back into a lineup that has I don't know how many hits we got this uh, uh, this past game, game two with Rice. I think maybe it was sixteen hits, fifteen hits, eighteen hits, eighteen hits. I mean, yeah. this is without this is without probably the conference player of the year in the Sun Belt. So. Uh, sky's the limit for this offense and and credit to Dex as much as I like to give him shit for the way he manages a pitching uh, a pitching staff the offense is undeniable and he's doing it from one through nine he's doing it with pinch hitters and I mean to some degree with guys like Rinconis and and Jonathan Brandon who played you a good first base in game two so this is very encouraging going to Texas State and like you mentioned they didn't have their midweek games uh, you can look at that two different ways you can say well they got a chance to rest up or you can say uh, well, they're not in the groove of playing. Texas State has played more midweek games than we have this year to this point. Uh, however, I don't really think it matters that much in mid-May. At this point in the season, you are who you are, and there's not really many things that are going to change that. Uh, but, but again, I'll say it again. Rice has always been, in, in, in the mind of me as a fan, as a fan uh, they, play, they play a significant role for whatever reason. And like we said, we thought that this was a, a – Kind of a bizarre, kind of strange uh, miniseries because of the way that we've treated midweek pitching to this point. You saw Cooper Rawls come in, have a nice outing, like you mentioned. Uh, one of you guys mentioned that AP came in and had a nice couple of innings. You, you've seen a newcomer to the staff that we've not seen in Callaway. Other people, and I know Tommy Ray didn't have his best outing, but you know he, he showed some moments, and we would. I think that Tommy Ray's role is long relief. And if we can rely on him in long relief, he's a weapon. Uh, and we'll talk about Hayden Dirk departing the team later, but there's some, there's some people that are going to have to pick up the slack going forward. I don't think there's any question about it. Yeah. And, and going back to your comment about, was it a good thing about midweek playing midweek and Texas state has some time off. I'm just going to say, if we came off of the series, like we did against UTA and how we played against them and how our bats didn't really wake up against them. And we're going into Friday night after that against Texas state, I would be more concerned. Um, and Texas, when you think about Texas state, Texas state beat ULM five, four on Friday, nine, one on Saturday and another one run five, four game on Sunday. So they didn't get the opportunity to build some confidence this week they're going into a, a series against us, a, a season-defining series against us, having just won two games against ULM 
So I know, like I said, if we didn't play against Rice this, win- this week and win, and we're coming off the UTA series, I'm the one kind of concerned, hey, can what are we going to do against Texas State? So um, that's where I think the momentum comes in, where we've got momentum going in, where Texas State, we know who they are. They're a damn good team. They've shown it and they've proven it. But I would, if I were them, have liked to, to get a midweek game in to build some confidence into the weekend. I think it's an excellent point. And, and to Jerry's point, you know, having an inner squad is one thing, but playing real live action, regardless of the team, it, it plays a role in, in how you feel about yourself going forward. I do have a question about Chipper. Chipper had an outstanding outing in game two, uh, to the point where he was throwing pitches and walking off the mound before people were swinging at him. That is what you think you get with a Chipper Menard. He had a little bit about him like that last year. How do we feel about Chipper going into the Texas State Series? Do you guys... I know we have a larger sample size now. Do you guys think that he's a reliable option out of the pen? Do you still have trepidation? And, and obviously anybody, nobody would, would, would probably call you out on that. Where do you guys fall on Chipper right now? Um, had he not had the performance he had tonight, I would be concerned. And he's, he, he can be a little bit of erratic pitcher. There are times where he comes out, like you said, he's lights out. Um, walking off the mound before the the pitch barely leaves his hand. Are there nights where he can't find the strike zone and and he faces two batters and we pull him? Um, I like the confidence I saw from him tonight. I liked, obviously his performance was amazing. So yeah, that's where, again, I think the midweek game helped him with his confidence and helped me and my confidence in bringing him out this weekend. So I said, absolutely, let the guy go out in there and pitch and hopefully carry some of that into the into the weekend series. Because if he can pitch like he did tonight against Texas State, man, that's a weapon that we need desperately right now. No question. I think my biggest takeaway from the mound is AP having another lights-out performance. Like we talked about, we need Austin in the postseason. We're going to need his experience and his leadership, and I think that him having another three innings of solid uh, a, a solid appearance in, for three innings, I think he walked two people. He gave up no hits or maybe two hits. Uh, no, I think he gave up two hits and walked nobody. That's what it was. I messed my notes up. But I, having Austin back in the staff and, and playing a, a crucial role to me is my biggest takeaway from the mound. Do you guys have a big takeaway overall from the miniseries with Rice? Jerry, I'll start with you. Um, I just like the fact that we responded twice, the two times, you know, yesterday, um, like I said, we started off kind of lax, you jump to a two, a two run lead, I believe it was. And then rice comes back and then you kind of play a little lax during, during the game and or middle innings until you have to make a rally in the seventh and eighth. But just the way, you know, look, the last, I want to say the last five games we've won, we've been behind at some point. So we're finding ways to come back, and that's that's huge. That's important, how to face adversity, because I think this weekend when you go to San Marcos, if you're down to Texas State, regardless of how good they may be, you've experienced how to face adversity and make comebacks. So it doesn't matter if who, what team you're facing. You've been through it before, whereas if we jump to a lead against Texas State and we're hitting the ball like, we're, like we have been, the pitching has been on like they have been, the next, the real question is, can Texas State come back against us? And I would give us the upper hand on that right now because that's five games in a row, I believe, where we've actually made a comeback, regardless of if it's in the first or second inning or in the seventh or eighth, we have found ways to, to come back. And, and it doesn't matter. Uh, it may not, it doesn't even matter how bad the team might have been. You know, it's baseball. You know, baseball, you 
face a good pitcher or you just get some bad luck, it doesn't matter. But we have been able to overcome some of that adversity as of late. And I'll tell you, I think that's a fact that we that's very important going forward, especially now in this regional race that we're in now. I mean, look, after tonight, this is officially we're officially in the hunt. Um, are we in the outside looking in? Are we in the are we maybe the first the first four in or the last four out? There's a lot of baseball to be played. But I think experiencing what we've been experiencing, what we experienced, making comebacks and being able to respond is going to be huge moving forward in the next two weeks. I mean, we're going to have to use that to our advantage, especially this weekend. Yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll say it again. My biggest takeaway from from these two games were the fact that we built that momentum to go into the weekend and we dominated a team that we should have. We didn't, you know screw around and, and, and let him hang in the game. We, we actually put him away in both games. Um, so that, that to me was the biggest takeaway and uh, building that confidence, man. I, I, again, momentum going into the weekend is huge. We're, we, we've won the last five games. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is how we dominated and we're bringing that into the weekend. And we talked about it here last week. We said we wanted to see a team go on the road and dominate a team that was inferior. And they did that. And they also did that without their best player. We also ran some guys out that we've never seen on the mound. We also ran some guys out that needed some confidence boosters. All that stuff really bodes well for us at Texas State. One other thing I wanted to add was, uh, Josh, we talked about this earlier, but um, just getting experience on the mound. uh, I thought that was very important to you know, like you mentioned, pitching a lot of guys that really don't get as much experience because you never know when you're going to need them in the next few weeks. Um, I thought it was important to let Tommy Ray go for a while and get the start. I thought it was important for, for AP to get that win yesterday. I thought it was important for Tripper Menard to come in and pitch the way that he did. Well, Cooper, uh, I thought it was, you imp- haven't seen Cooper, Cooper in Rawls. A month. of course, Cooper Rawls is another one. Yeah. I thought it was very important for Cooper to get some, some, some time on the mound. So, you're going to need these guys. You're going to need them in the next few weeks. You will need these guys. It's not going to be just, you know, the Bo Bonds and, and, and the Jake Hammonds and the Dylan Toits. You're going to need those guys that pitched, you know, tonight. You're going to need them in down the stretch um, because the, the first three guys can't do it all by themselves. And, you know, I mean, not to try to jinx anybody, but if our, any of our weekend guys, you know, have a short stint, you know, who's going to step up. So um, I thought that was kind of the more important thing that I got out of this uh, little midweek series as well was letting guys get experience, letting guys kind of, you know, get their feet wet. And, um, you know, because at this point, everybody's got to be on edge. Everybody's got to be ready. Yeah, I'm with you. And, And people will look back on these scores and these box scores and they'll say, well, seven to three really wasn't all that dominating. Let me tell you something. And Nick will back me up on this. That was one of the worst ball strike umpires in the history of history. Holy cow. You ain't kidding. I have never heard Jay and Brad laugh at a man like they laughed at this. I mean, this was now I didn't buy the gas station TV because not because I'm cheap. It's because I don't support and never will support anything that Kusa touches. But I'm just listening to the broadcast and every third pitch, Brad is wheezing in the corner. And I, look, I've listened to these guys long enough to know that they, they know what they're talking about. They do a pretty good job of, of being neutral on ball strike. Apparently, this guy was from another planet. So It reminds me of those old McNeese games when they had their high school or middle school 
baseball umpires out there. And I mean, it, it was, it reminded me of that because we, we go out there, throw a pitch right down the middle. And it's like, we're looking around for a strike and, and he's never making the strike on. We're like, where is that? And then, and then, you know, Rice's pitcher gets up there and he he's throwing balls six inches off the plate, calling them strikes. So that day, it took me back to those McNeese days where that's exactly what you got when you played in Lake Charles. Those old drunk Lake Charles umps. But, <laughs> but no, no, it was bad. I, I don't think I've ever heard Jay say on a broadcast. Now he said things behind closed doors, but to say on a broadcast that we're getting home cooked, that that was that was telling. Now you know, luckily for us, we were winning the game. But I've heard him say it in situations like. Maybe on a call, one call on or a say, call. well, this guy's been inconsistent the entire sure. game. I've sure. never heard him in the in the many years I've been listening call call them out that directly. That was that what, was pretty what, funny. What was hilarious was one of you had texted uh, uh, texted about that, and literally as I read your text, Austin Parent throws a hanging breaking ball right. I mean, it couldn't have been any prettier. And if the if their batter would have swung at it, he probably would have hit it out the park. A ball. Stared at it. A ball. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. I don't know how you can make that a prettier pitch than what I saw. And and you know, the 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 rice batter locked had lock legs and stared at it. And I'm thinking it's a strike three call. I mean, everybody, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if AP was walking off the mound. No, no, the umpire looked at it. I well, guess the pitch was it was too pretty. He didn't want to say anything, you know. To that same guy's credit, um, Brock threw someone out at second. I guess he had a, a big lead off a of second and he, he threw it down after a pitch and Debo caught the ball and he swiped at the guy, but it's obvious from the camera angle that he missed him. And it, that same umpire that was behind the plate the night before called them out. So I guess, I guess everything has a way of working out in this universe. I don't Baseball know. Baseball pays you back, man. That's exactly. Makeup call, man. Makeup call. <laughs> So guys, we obviously we put a big premium on pitching, and uh, we we've talked about our personnel at length on the pod. Uh, today we found out that Hayden Dirk will no longer be with the program. Curious to what you guys think about losing Hayden, uh, your experience with Hayden, and maybe your overall feeling about him leaving the team. I have no experience with with Hayden. Um, you know, like any other college baseball player or college player in general, you hear things and, and people talk and you hear bits and pieces and stories. And um, I don't get into that. You know, I'm there, there were great pitchers under robe that for one reason or another or another didn't work out. Um, I know your theories behind some of that, Josh, but, but even before we had certain assistant coaches on staff, there were, there were other players that left for reasons unknown to the public. Um, so I don't, I don't try to read into it too much. I purposely keep a distance because obviously of, of my relationship to the team and my brother's a coach and I don't want to cross boundaries there. Um, but, but even so, you know, um, good luck to the kid. I hope he, he finds what he's looking for. I hope he finds success and uh, it's just unfortunate it didn't work out. I think he had a lot of talent that, that we could have really used, especially down the stretch. But again, things happen. People move on for, for whatever reason, and uh, we just got to wish them the best and, and say good luck. 
Yeah, it's obviously a bummer when you lose a pitcher like that. Um, you know, there was a lot of upside with the guy. Like I said before, I would have liked to see him get more of an opportunity, but I also would have liked to see him seize the opportunity. And sometimes, you know, when stuff like this happens, um, I think I think everybody can learn from the experience. It's not just one person. It's not, you know, it's not about taking sides as much as it is. It's an experience for everyone, you know. Um, maybe Hayden will learn from this experience when he goes – you know, elsewhere. Um, maybe the coaches might learn something, how, how to handle a player. Uh, you know, everything that they do in this sport, there's a learning experience. There's a learning curve. So I think what, what I hope that everybody gets out of it is regardless of how it was handled, regardless of how, um, you know, Hayden is going elsewhere that uh, I, you know, I think we all want what's best for him, but also, uh, you know, it's it's like it's like Robe says, you know, we lost Hayden, you know, Ellis for learn. So I hope we can learn from this. Oh, Jerry, that was well said. Good job. The word according to G. Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. everybody we wanted to bring in what we have lovingly dubbed the stream team our group of ul broadcasting students that are bringing the baseball games and apparently other games that they've worked on to you live and in your living room for espn plus that's ben blake blaze brian and jordan joining us tonight for an exclusive interview Bring you some details about those experiences and this broadcasting opportunity they've been given. Welcome, everybody. First of all, 
before we start having our conversation, I want to thank you guys for your service. I want to thank you guys for being Raging Cajuns. Uh, it's something to be proud of, and you guys do excellent work, and I think that it's something that needs to be highlighted. So I just wanted to be the first in public to to thank you and acknowledge you. Uh, we have a long conversation to have and, and plenty on the rundown, but I, that's where I want to start. And Blake, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm probably going to – I'm going to – designate and use the point man because there's so many people in this room i'll start with you um what's it been like to be able to deliver cajun sports to the cajun nation uh i mean it's it's been incredible uh definitely not something i ever thought i would be doing um you know we get to do a lot of different sports which is really cool we do basketball softball baseball the occasional football but i mean our team's been so good that you know the big espn really gets them all to themselves but it's really been um it's just been incredible you know you, you get to learn a lot of new things meet a lot of cool people and get to watch some great games all the time now this is a little bit further down but you being the play-by-play guy right before we get into the kind of the nitty gritty of all, all the stuff and all the, all the, uh, the operational stuff, what, how, how did this start? How did, did Joel come to you one day, Joel Bio? Did he come to you and say, this is the idea that we have. We want to do an all student broadcasting team. Uh, did he say that, you know, maybe the administration was kind of pushing this idea. Did you get into broadcasting thinking or knowing that this was an opportunity down the road? How did all, how did it, how did the wheels get turned in motion? Well, for me, I mean, I never thought this would have been possible. I went to LSUE. We didn't have anything like this. Um, and then coming over here, uh, you know, getting in contact with Joel, him bringing me onto the team. And uh, last, I guess it was last September, October, I had actually done a few soccer games. Jordan and I commentated one. And then I actually had to do one by myself for my second ever broadcast. And, uh, that was fun. That was eye-opening. And then um, I got to do one with Ian Ozan. So that was really cool. And that's what kind of gave me that confidence. But then Jordan graduating, she wanted to get into producing. And I think that's what really made Joel want to push for this and give us all that opportunity to see if we were, you know, see if we could do it. I mean, I know he knew that we could do it, but, you know, it's all about that confidence that he gave us to go out there and put this together and, you know, fight for us to be able to have that opportunity. Let's go to Jordan. Jordan, I, I, I might be being presumptuous in this, in this comment, but are you more of the, the uh, seasoned broadcasting expert among this group? And if you don't mind, maybe walk us through your experience with the broadcasting department and this particular project uh, as it's kind of unfolded into now being a, a full-fledged production. Yeah. I mean, I started, Three years ago, I started my sophomore year with this program under a different um, director. And Joel had came during the spring season, during um, the end of basketball. And right away, he started um, really shaping the, the whole program. And we were able to get new equipment. And he ended up taking on that full role as the director of our live broadcast. And he just kind of kept pushing us. And I started off as a camera operator and then I went on to replay and I really got invested in everything that put together the whole broadcast. 
And it's such a fun experience because it, it's a live game and you really can't predict what's going to happen. It's not news where it's completely scripted. And so I started training and producing in the fall and I started off in basketball. I got really warmed up to that. And he had mentioned last semester that he wanted to eventually have a second team. Um, Cause we've run into um, issues that um, baseball and softball were at the same time. And me learning producing, we started taking on those roles and our end goal by the end of baseball was to have a full student broadcast. And it's just an opportunity for all the students to try new things that a freelancer might've already been doing. You mentioned the equipment change when Joel came on and obviously there was more of a premium put on, you know, UL controlling their content. And I know that that's a continuing effort. What is the difference between the equipment that you experienced when you started in the program to now and what can we expect going forward? I mean, it was, it was things like, it was like robotic cameras and we had inside Louisiana athletics and we were able to make something more out of that because of this equipment. And Joel is also an engineer. And so he was able to really create more and we were able to learn more about our equipment and add more, I guess, flair to it. That's great. And inside Louisiana athletics was a hit. Um, are you mm-hmm. guys, did, did you guys discontinue that or is that something that is, uh, is it, wh- where, what's the status of inside Louisiana? Um, it's a network thing. Um, the channel that we were putting it on got, sold to another company so it's a working progress and you might see something in the coming fall with maybe ragingcajuns.com like it used to be or it's still up in the air right now this question i have is for for both you blake as play-by-play and you blaze as color so i'll start with you blake i did i was the pa announcer at at the teague and then russo park for years and i kind of had to learn on the fly Nobody, you can't go to a PA announcing school, right? You have, you have to kind of listen to someone adapt, kind of figure out how you fit into, into the game and, and how you're going to make it yours. Like, how did, I mean, who did you study under or who did, how did you come to where you are now? Because again, there's no play by play school you go to. How did you figure out how to call a game? And I guess, who'd you look up to uh, during that process? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing was, you know, you want to sound unique, but you don't want to sound too different. You know, you don't want to sound too outlandish. And as dumb as it may, as it may sound, I played a lot of MLB The Show <laughs> growing up and listening to that. And um, I listened to a lot of Yankees games uh, growing up, and I watched pretty much every Major League Baseball game that's on TV that I can catch, a lot of Rangers games, a lot of Astros games, and – just picking up different little bits and pieces from different commentators. Um, no, really anyone specific, but you know, everybody wants to have that, like that catchphrase for like a home run or something like that. So that's, that's something I want to get. Um, definitely something I'm, I'm trying to work on and not just saying something that everybody else says. Uh, but yeah, it's um, like you said, there's no real place you can go to study it or, I don't know, take classes for it. So you just kind of have to 
call it on the fly and say what comes naturally to you. Yeah, I won't lie. I, I sat in, in my room playing the show, announcing batters as they ca- came up to bat. So I uh, totally understand. Blaze, what about you? How, how do you kind of uh, figure out how to, how to do this, how to be the color guy? So my goal was always to kind of be the play-by-play guy. And when this whole idea of student-run broadcast first came to, Joel came to me and he told me, he said, uh, with the way you do your research and the way you find stats, he said, I think that you would be best suited as a color commentary. I think you would compliment Blake perfectly. And so, you know, without questions asked, I kind of embraced that role and I really dove deep into the analytics. And if, you know, if you were able to tune into our broadcast, me and Blake talked a lot about analytics and deep analytics with, uh, you know, the pitchers with Dalton Schultz, I mean, excuse me, Jacob Schultz, and with uh, Brandon Talley, they have a lot of unique stats on them, so we really focused in on that, and I just kind of embraced being the analytical guy. I didn't play a whole lot of baseball in high school and things of that nature, so I couldn't bring you the player standpoint that maybe a Brennan Bro or an Eric Mouton could have brought you, but I think we did a great job of still keeping it informational with the statistics and relating it back to baseball terms that maybe a fan who's not really deep into baseball could understand and relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I'll keep it with you two guys. I have one more question being on ESPN, ESPN plus, I don't care if I'm on, you know, a gas station, like, like Kusa television, but you guys being streaming on ESPN plus, that's a big deal. And hearing yourself on there and getting to replay the broadcast and, and hear yourself again is really, really cool. Were you guys nervous for your first broadcast on ESPN Plus, Blake? Were there some butterflies, or were you totally good with it? I was. I mean, I was pretty nervous. Um, we had done some mock broadcasts before where it wasn't aired, but we still had the footage, and I had commentated one. Blaze had commentated one, and it it helps ease that tension. And I, like I said, I had commentated a few soccer games before, but it's completely different. Um, I think the biggest thing I was nervous about is I didn't want to talk too much. You know, that in baseball, there's those natural times where you just don't say anything and you you let whatever is happening play out. And you don't want to you don't want to just make it more about yourself than the game. So that was uh, something I was nervous about. I just I didn't want to talk. You know, you're there to talk, but you don't want to talk too much because then viewers can kind of get aggravated and annoyed and they just want to watch the game. Yeah, Blaze, what about you? Did you have any butterflies? Were you nervous? Oh, so I just like you said, we did a few mock broadcasts beforehand, and me and Blake actually each did a game by ourselves, with not each other in the booth. We did both color and play-by-play boards by ourselves. They didn't air on ESPN+, Plus, but we got to play back and watch them as kind of like practice. And the first three innings were absolutely horrible to me. I mean, I was like deer in the headlights, just frozen, didn't know what to say. So to just have that partner in the booth for the actual broadcasts that were live, it helped a lot and it gave me a lot more confidence to know that I had him to kind of bounce ideas off of. And whenever I was in that rut, he would pick me up and vice versa. So uh, I was definitely a lot more nervous for the mock broadcast because it was just me in there. And with Blake by my side, there was still some jitters, but I definitely had a lot more confidence knowing that I had a partner who was going to be able to pick me up if I stumbled. So everybody's always interested in the inner workings that go on behind the cameras. Like, how do you guys know what feed to go to? How do you know where to pan? I mean, obviously you follow the ball, but there are other things that you, you know, you videotape during a game. So Brian, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you because you're on the ground floor of of the operation. You make it happen. What's it like to have somebody in your ear telling you where to turn the camera, what to follow? How do you guys decide what feed goes on the station uh, for the viewers 
kind of take me behind the camera a little bit. I started off doing center field cam. I hadn't done high home at first, so that was kind of basic. But I would just do what I saw on real baseball games, like when it's like full count and two outs, they zoom and make it look good and stuff like that. Yeah, so right. then Joe and Jerry were like, hey, I like that. Keep doing that. I'm like, okay, so I'm doing the right thing. So then uh, we went to when I went to high home, it was more difficult because you have way more stuff to get. But like Blake was saying, I play a lot of MLB and I watch I was watch baseball. So I'm like, I'm just gonna do what I see on TV, and then. You just do whatever, like certain directors want different things. Like Nathan, my boy Nathan, that's not here. Shout out to Nathan. He wants different things that our, our other freelancer will want. And then you just listen to Blake and Blaze and it goes, you know, it goes well. They say, oh, um, this pitcher's been doing this, his foot, you zoom in on that. And then the director see that and then he takes it. So I just listen and then I mix what I know with the game and it comes out looking good. So Brian, going back to you being high home, at our old stadium, probably before you were born, when, when that was around, High Home was on top of the roof with no rails. They, they literally take a bucket truck and put you on top of the roof. Would you have been okay with that? Yeah, I would have I still been excited because, it's like you said, it's on ESPN. So to me, it's low-key like a big deal to my parents. So I was just excited to do the whole thing. I would have kind of did whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done it. But but props to you, man. <laughs> yeah, I have to Brian, I have to compliment you as someone who who watches a ton of stream games when the Cajuns are on the road. Like right now, I'm watching it watching the Cajuns take on rice and you know, seeing other teams stream their games, I have to give you a compliment and already and maybe it's me being biased, but it's amazing that, you know, how how some other schools and some other camera people, how they make it so difficult to follow a foul ball into foul territory. Uh, the fact that you've actually been able to follow a foul ball with your camera is impressive in itself. Uh, I know it sounds petty, but um, I have to compliment you. You've done a fantastic job following the ball. It's amazing seeing other schools, how they really don't, a lot of them don't do a good job at following is something as simple as a fly ball. So I have to, I had to give my two cents on that. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, you guys do a really good job. And before Jerry asks the next question, I just want to say or ask, you guys seem like you have a pretty good chemistry between the five of you. How long have you actually been working together? Is this the first year you guys actually do broadcast together? Uh, so I'm actually, me and Brian are actually two of the newest members here. We both started around the same time back in October. Uh, I started this for my internship for my uh, final semester at UL, but Jordan mentioned she's been here for three years, so she's kind of watched. She's even been here longer than Joel, so she's kind of been real grounded and everything, and uh, Ben and Blake got there around the same time as well, as well as Blake. Blake might have been there a little bit earlier than Ben. We've all taken classes together. I mean, before I started my internship here, I had taken a class with Brian, Blake, and Jordan before, so we kind of all knew each other beforehand, and then working together, the chemistry just kind of Bonded. And Joel does a really good job of making sure that we're all connected and we all get to know each other. He's creating jokes and making everybody kind of do icebreakers before every game just to make sure that everybody's connected. Because at the end of the day, you are a team. And how well you work together, that kind of determines what your end product is going to be looking like whenever you put it out for everybody to see. So overall, for each of you, what attracted you to this job? Um was was this a project that you had to qualify for? Was it something you signed up for? Was it something you volunteered for? Was it assigned to you? Uh, is this something you have to do as part of like an internship? How did you guys get a hold of this project and and be able to stream games and do the full broadcasting experience? I got. I want to go first because I feel like I got mine like the most 
coincidental way. I was going to my professor's class to ask for an extension on a late project. <laughs> and uh, Jordan was sitting on the couch. She was like, hey, you want a job? I was like, yeah. She was like, you like sports? I was like, yeah. And then like the next day I emailed Joe. And so that's how I got it. I didn't know anything about it. I can say uh, for myself, I'm Ben, by the way. Pleasure to be here. I had heard that whenever um, a few years back, ESPN Plus got the contract with several or most, I think all the Sunbelt schools to broadcast or live stream games in some capacity, you know, UL started ramping up that program a lot. And uh, it's ironic that you call us the stream team because way back before I was here and Jordan has just started, that was the name of this broadcast team because everything was just live streamed through uh, RageCages.com, et cetera. It wasn't actually going through ESPN Plus. And then later on, it started going through there. So I heard about that program when I started going to UL for mass communications. It's like, I love sports. I want to get into this. And I just started going down the emailing chain of emailing uh, professors. And that eventually led me to Joel Bio, who got me involved with this program. And I would definitely say that UL and the department in general has done a really good job of building that community to want to help their students excel in different facets. So I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity for sure. So, so Ben, you've, you've pretty much, it sounds like you've taken an active role in all of this on this entire project and it seems to be successful. What is your role? Talk a little bit about the technical director position. So like, I'm pretty sure everyone here, I started as a camera operator and then eventually moved into being a replay operator, which means you're basically working right with the director in terms of, to explain it simply, basically you're seeing the feed of every live camera that's covering the game and you're watching it live and you're clipping uh, basically from what camera you want to see this hit or this pitch or this steal happen from. You're clipping that part and you're collecting it all throughout the game. And then from that, you're playing it back after the play ends and then you're putting together segments for you know player highlight reels or game recaps and stuff like that. Um, that job has been very interesting and pretty stressful. And I'd like to say uh, it's a shame he couldn't be here with us tonight. But in my opinion, besides producing, obviously, uh, the most stressful job in a production trailer is definitely the technical director. And uh, for Mr. Nathan Shank to jump into that chair and direct three games by himself, um, that's incredibly impressive. And uh, he did a fantastic job. So. It was a pleasure hey, ben, being able I, to work with him doing that. I actually have a follow-up. I, I read the article about you guys, and this is kind of what attracted me to the interview. Um, it says that you guys have worked in different capacities in multiple other events. What all have you been a part of before the ESPN Plus broadcast? I mean, I originally got into video work. I mean, like a lot of people here, you know, in high school or, or whatnot, you pick up a video camera and start messing around. And that led to me to just teaching myself editing, uh, how to shoot video and stuff like that. And I originally started in high school doing weddings or uh, recruitment uh, reels for players trying to get into JUCOs and whatnot. Uh, by the time getting to UL, it, it definitely helped a lot uh, for me when Joel figured out I had, you know, rudimentary skills of shooting video, editing video, and understood how that worked. And Joel and everybody else that was already there on the team did a great job of translating that into a live broadcast because that's one thing you definitely learn is making a pre-made video and content is a totally different game than putting something out live. So it's definitely an adaptation. 
I, I do have a question about what we do kind of is we we're a, we're a soundboard for the fan base, right? So streaming was a, a, a never an issue until it feels like this year where we have a team that's improving and obviously we're going to make a postseason run here and folks have a different expectation of what should be delivered to them as the fan. Okay. And with the advent of ESPN plus and that platform and the ability to stream things change with expectations. So my question is, is that there's a feeling in the fan base that the administration listened to complaints. Therefore, you guys stepped in to fill a void. Was this always something that you were building to? And was it something that was maybe accelerated because of demand of fans? Or were you just on schedule and all of a sudden the team came together and now the administration asked you guys to, or, and when I say administration, it could be Joel, it could be any one of those, you know, that those levels. Uh, it was, was it just something that they came to you and said, hey, we think we're ready. Let's try to do it for the university. I mean, it wasn't a, we want you to do this. It was a more internal thing. We were like, we just want to keep getting better. And we want to keep growing as workers. And I had told everyone on our last broadcast, when I started three years ago, I could have never imagined that this was going to happen. And this is the best team. And it's the best team to put this responsibility in. Um, so it wasn't an expectation someone put on us. It wasn't, this is a goal we want to achieve, work for it. It was a internal, we want to keep growing. We want to try these new positions um, with people getting closer to graduation, um, being good at what you do. So you're able to get a good job. And we all love this job and being able to do every single aspect of it that we wouldn't normally was that motivation to go and have this full student run broadcast. So to be clear, it was more of, it was more of an internal team decision that you guys wanted to push forward than the administration really coming down and saying, Hey, we need you guys to deliver this for the fans because they're upset. Yes. Talk a little bit about, I know when I was in radio, we did air checks. So we, we, you know, record ourselves, listen back, see how it sounds. I guess for you guys, you do something similar, I would assume, but, but talk to me about what process you guys have in place to listen to the broadcast or to review, I guess, camera angles and see what you can do better for the next broadcast. What, what do you guys do to kind of review your last game and, and, and tweak things to get a little bit better? After each broadcast, we all meet as a team back at the trailer and kind of discuss highs and lows of the game and things that we think that, you know, we could have done better, things that we could strive for for the next game. Uh, we do that for every single one of our broadcasts. And then usually probably I think it's Mondays and Wednesdays we'll get together. We'll as a team at Joel's office and we'll watch our broadcast or we'll watch other like Sunbelt schools broadcast to see how we could not necessarily be better than them, but what we could do, like if we see them doing something wrong or any broadcast for that matter, if we see them doing something wrong, how could we not do that and make our product better than that product? It, it shows, you know, anytime that you do something that's produced out to the public, right? You're going to have some sort of internal coaching, right? If you want to be any good, 
you're going to have to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, yes, I did say that. And that was really dumb or that was really insightful. How do we replicate it? Or, you know what I mean? I think you guys understand what I'm saying. You've done enough of this stuff to, to, you know, similar in the podcasting world where we care about how our product sounds to the masses. We come back here and sometimes we have, uh, you know, what people call come to Jesus meetings and we'll say, Hey, that sucked. This was good. This sounded horrible. This sounded okay. And we'll, we'll talk about it amongst each other. And I'm, I'm always curious if, if there's some sort of coaching mechanism in place, do you guys get any feedback from higher ups? Does Joel attend those meetings? Do you guys get together with team and not necessarily supervisors because you guys are students, but broadcast management per se, uh, is that kind of how that goes or is it mostly just between you all? I would say when we first, when I first came to the job and we would watch the Monday games, the first thing that Joel told me was that you'll never be able to watch a sporting event the same again. And I went home that day and watched the college basketball game. And I was like, oh, his camera angle is off. He's not zooming right. So then ever since then, I just kept watching it that way. And then I would compare myself to the NBA games. So I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of better than this guy. So I'm going to keep doing what's on, you know, because to me, the NBA, that's the highest platform of, you know, broadcasting basketball. So I would take that from watching it at home and then bring it to the games. And then sometimes Joe would be like, okay, you don't, we don't need that right now. And I'll say he's the nicest leader I've ever had. So even when you mess up, you know, he'll tell you in a way that's like, I didn't, you know, screw everything up, but I know I need to get better. So it's really just in between, you know, I want to compete with myself and compare myself to the best way, but Joe and everybody else, they're nice about it. You know, they're not really mean. So Joe really sets the standard for all of these broadcasts. He holds us, Every game, he'll kind of – we'll have our post-game meetings, as Blake said, and he'll say, this was really good, but next game, I want to do this. I want to take it here. And he'll kind of get everybody new assignments. You know, first base cam, I want to see a little bit more of this in these situations. Director, I would like to see you switching more here. Let's switch it up. Let's try new transitions. You know, he'll probably add something to the talent. I want to go for these segments. So it's a credit to Joel, and Jordan knows this as well. The producer really sets the standard for what each broadcast looks like, and you can never be satisfied for just putting together a good broadcast. You've had everybody in the back tell them they did a great job, but at the end of the day, you want to keep taking your product to the next level, and I think Joe has done a great job in instilling that in everybody, so it's a credit to him. I love that Joel continues to come up because, obviously, you guys have great leadership. The chemistry is obvious, as we've already mentioned, and it's great that, that you guys have those – that, that outlet to have a guy that he says, look, it's good, but we got to keep getting better. I like that a lot. You know, you guys have mentioned Joel and, and what he means to this whole entire, um, this whole entire project that you're undergoing with the broadcasting, but, you know, talk a little bit about the broadcast department at UL. I mean, I remember when I was there and they had the studio and I know they really take, they take it seriously. Just from your experience, um, how has the department of, affected you in many ways through your experiences and, and your career paths. Uh, just kind of discuss that a little bit and, and what the broadcast department means to each of you and, and how it sets you up for the future. I, I love our program and we have, I've had the greatest mentors these four years and it's really difficult. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I graduated a couple of days. I finally had a week to breathe for the first time in a couple of years. Um, it's really difficult and it really pushes you, but I wouldn't be where I am without it, without my professors, without um, this job and my mentors. And I just love that it really pushes us. And 
we're all getting set up for success as we keep going through it. I would say that um, like right now where we live in the internet age, you can basically teach yourself, you know, relatively anything online, right? Like you want to learn an instrument, you want to learn how to shoot video, whatnot. I would say that somebody who started teaching basic skills like that to myself in terms of video work, I have improved so much since going to UL because there's so many things that you will be taught in that department from people that worked in news or TV or film for, you know, decades. And that experience you won't be able to get anywhere. And I know it improved myself. I know it improves, you know, everybody in our program. So uh, that was the biggest takeaway for me is just looking at the people around you, the people that are teaching you, and they want to share their knowledge. So just make sure you get as much of that knowledge out of them as you can. I want to say, uh, like between Joe and some of my other professors, uh, they they do a really good job at getting you through the process. Like, you know, it seems hard at first, but it's like, we're doing this for a reason. We're trying to get you this good. And there's one professor, I don't know about we can name drop, but everybody's probably taking her. She, you know, she's pretty hard, but what she does is get you ready for the industry and stuff like that. So just them setting the high expectations for us and giving us, you know, like, uh, they kind of put you on the spot. When I first came here, like my second day, I was doing a live volleyball game. That's the best way to learn because it's live. You know, your mess ups, you can see them in your face. So their guidance has been really good at getting you to the point and where we are. Yeah, I agree with Brian on the on the one professor, uh, but she's done a great <laughs> job. And Joel's kind of been the same as her. She's she's tough, man. And she, she pushes you to the break every time. But in this industry, it's needed because I think what a lot of students, a lot of students get caught up in the complaining of, oh, there's so much work. But I think you forget that college is not just, you know, making sure you learn something. It's preparing you for the industry that you want to go into. And her and Joel have been the two biggest influences on my life in, in terms of making me a young professional, you know, outside of editing and doing stand-ups and knowing what needs to be done for a sports package versus a news package or a documentary or maybe a sports production. Also knowing things like, how to send an email to an employer, how to properly sell an application, how to create a reel. So doing all the things that it takes to be a young professional in this industry, those have been the two biggest influences in my life in this program. And I am very thankful for both of them because I've learned a lot from them, not just technical wise, but industry wise as well. I really, uh, for me, I mean, all of my credit goes to Joel and Jordan and like the friends that I've made in this group, because when I came here, I guess I mentioned I was from LSUE. I didn't have a clue how to operate a camera. I didn't have a clue how to talk in front of it. Um, I came here and I just knew I love sports and I like to talk. And that was pretty much it. And Joel helped me. He, you know, he coached me and taught me how to, how to make this my profession and how to excel at it. And as well as, you know, Ben, Blaze, Brian, Jordan, um, Marcel, he had graduated. He's no longer with our group. Um, you know, helping me to become the best broadcaster that I could be. Cause I mean, Blaze and I just got up there and talked. We couldn't have done that without anybody else in this group. So, you know, that we all kind of help each other and make each other excel. And I think we can all give that credit to Joel, that teacher who we, uh, I don't know if she'd want to be named and, you know, everybody in our department has just been fantastic. You guys can name drop. This is a podcast. We're not going to get our license pulled. So no, but it's her. <laughs> she's a scary. She's scary. She's scary. That's scary. all I'll say. I'll say it. I'll say it. Shout out to Miss B and we love you. 
Look, you guys have been spectacular. Before we go, we're going to do some feedback from the listeners or from the viewers. Obviously, you guys are doing a, a, a video production. So if, if you have some thick skin, we'll have a little bit of fun. You guys ready for this? All right. There's a lot of good stuff, but there's a couple of uh, a couple little wobbly comments I'd like to get your thoughts on. All right. Comment number one from the list from the viewers. We'll call them viewers. The game on video is dictated by the video. On radio, constant talking is necessary. Less is more. I guess there were some nerves involved, Blaze and Blake. I, I assume that there was probably some coaching after the fact where maybe there was some over talking. How did that how did that dynamic how did you guys resolve that? How did how did you go from Saturday where there was too much talking to Sunday where it seemed to be pretty good on point? Uh, well, for me personally, I, I really didn't feel like we had talked that much blaze. I felt like we kept it very, you know, chill, so to say. But uh, no, I, I never felt like we were, you know, making it about ourselves and talking way too much. And, uh, you know, baseball is kind of like golf where you just it's a relaxing thing to sit down and watch, at least for me, uh, except when, you know, my team wins. Um, but, yeah, I felt like we had kept it very calm and, you know. I mean, hey, you know, feedback is awesome all the time, but uh, I didn't think we talked too much. Blaze, did you? Uh, I think it's, uh, baseball is definitely very different from a lot of other sports. There's a lot of downtime in between pitches. So especially when there's video going on, you don't want to leave the viewers feel like they're not hearing anything for 30 or 40 seconds at a time. And as a viewer, you might not think 30 or 45 seconds is that long, but as and I think my whole team can speak here as a broadcaster, 30 to 45 seconds with nothing going on is a lot of time. 15 seconds with nothing going on is a lot of time. And so, yeah, maybe sometimes we do find ourselves talking a little much, but it's never just ramble. It's always, it's always been about the game and it always adds to what's going on, whether that's a theme going on in the game, which, which this whole series had been the runs crossing the plate with two outs. You know, we always try to bring something that's going on that's relevant, that's going on in the game. Keep in mind, especially Cajun fans, will bitch about literally anything. So don't take it personally. I'm just, I'm reading quotes from different text messages, uh, message board, Twitter, etc. It is funny though. When you go back and read it, like, dude, you, you would die if you hear the stuff that, or you read the stuff that people say about this podcast. It's absolutely hilarious. We actually just got our first hater uh, uh, Twitter account today, which is sick, right? I mean, we made it. We got a hater account. Okay, here's another one. Students were a pleasure to listen to. They got much better from Saturday to Sunday. And I agree with that. Obviously, I didn't hear you guys Saturday, but I heard you on Sunday, and I thought you found you sounded great. So, all right. Next one was great broadcast. I prefer this over Dan. <laughs> hey, look, we're all friends here. We're in the trust tree. Dan has had some rough moments, so let's be honest. He's a good dude, and he's a Hall of Famer, but, I mean, look. Moving on. Never, ever, ever. Say, ULL or Louisiana at Lafayette or Louisiana Lafayette ever. I actually, let's read that again. I want you guys to understand this concept. <laughs> Josh, read it again. Read it right. again. Read it again. Never. Ever, 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 ever. Say, ULL or Louisiana at Lafayette or Louisiana Lafayette dot, 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 ever. Big no-no. And I see Blake raising his hand, so obviously he's got a comment. What do you got? First off, I don't think we ever said that. I, I, I know the rules by now that 
No ULL, no Louisiana at Lafayette. But hey, I love Lafayette, and I like throwing it in there occasionally, not to, you know, diehard fans. But love Lafayette, proud of Lafayette. It's one of the best cities, if not the best city in the state. So I have no problem with throwing it in there. You know, I, I get we are the University of Louisiana, but Lafayette's cool. And no, that's our thing. That's the only, you know, everybody could say, oh, they're the University of Louisiana, but we got Lafayette and Lafayette's the best. And, you know, to me, but we never said it. I'm pretty sure we never said it. You're not you're not wrong on that. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll I'll call you on the side. I, I'll explain all that. Uh, it may have slipped from me. I'll be honest here, but I think a lot of broadcasts, a lot of viewers have to understand that when we're in there, we're not Louisiana's, we're not UL's broadcasting team. We're ESPN Plus. So at the same time, we have to be non-biased. We can't show bias to one team. So there's out-of-state fans who are watching us. They may be from UTA side who are watching the game. So we have to come off as non-biased as possible, even though we are students at the university and most of us have grown up here all of our lives and we grow up watching the Cajuns, we have to maintain that non-bias. So we can't show favoritism at the end of the day. So that's kind of where that was the ULL or the University of Louisiana Lafayette slipped and understand it, it, it might rub some true fans the wrong way. Blaze, 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 Blaze I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to send you some literature. Uh, you guys Nick. told us the name of the professor. We will call her if you do it again. I'm just saying. Not a threat, but we know her name now. Just saying. I graduate Saturday, so you can call her as much as you want. I'm out of there. <laughs> Brian just fell out of his chair laughing at that one. All right, all right. Moving on. Uh, here's the other one. Oh, there's a few more. Real quick. These are our – this is one of the ones that I like the most, and I put it in here. on. A, I, I, there were 15 I could have included, but this is one of my favorite ones. These are our students. This is our university. Way past due. Kudos to everyone involved. And I'm so glad that people remember that it's not just the on-air people and it's not just the people that you know the names. There's always a team behind the team, right? So I was happy with that, and I wanted to include that. Now, this is a little bit of a shot, and I hope none of you guys said this. Maybe this was just in jest, and maybe it was a joke, and I don't know what it is. But here's the comment. Quote, cool tiger cap at a Cajuns game. Unquote, said no one ever. Oh, please tell me you guys didn't say that on the air. Please tell me that didn't happen. Absolutely not. No, the only thing that was even remotely close to that was uh, CJ Willis had checked in and I said, LSU transfer. That, that was the only time LSU was ever mentioned in that entire two days of broadcasting. So no, Brian, no one, Brian's no got something. He's got up. a smile on his face and his hand. <laughs> what, what's going on over here, Brian? I know exactly what happened, or at least I think I know exactly what happened. So I'm, they know, usually when we come to work, I have a different outfit on. I'm like the, you know, the the wardrobe guy of the team. He told me, you know, please try and watch the logos or whatever. So there was a segment on the Saturday game. They showed a picture of us, and it was like, this is our stream. Or it might have been Sunday. I had on a Memphis Tigers cap. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that that's where it came from. I had to, we had, took our team picture and I had a Memphis Tigers cap on. And Joel always told me, we don't want to show bias or anything like that. But I didn't think I was going to be on TV that day. So I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Brian, did the, well, it's, did the head say Tigers? It said Memphis Tigers on the front. Well, Memphis right. is a little bit different than, uh, <laughs> you know. So I guess we'll let that one kind of slide. Or you can start a donation fund to give me a raising Cajun's hat, and I'll wear it to every. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have a contingent of fans that'll actually do that. All right, yeah. Last one, and then we'll let you guys run. Okay, it says, "Great job, good production, 
and the on-air talent was the best I've heard from a student play-by-play color team. And I put that last because I wanted to just, I, I had to say this as a person who was able to talk to you guys. When folks across the country see these broadcasts, when recruits see these broadcasts, when recruits' parents see these broadcasts, they're excellent productions, top to bottom. But you guys are the voices of us. You represent us when you're on TV. And I, I, can't, I can't stress enough how much we appreciate what you do. And I also can't stress how important it is for the brand, for Lafayette, for this university that is improving and growing at an incredible rate. You guys have such an important role. I hope that you understand the position that you have right now. Look, I know that maybe next year you're, you're, you're moving on and, and you're graduating and you're, you're going on to bigger and better things and you're pursuing a career. But right now, while you're producing Cajun games, you are as important as anybody else. And I just want you guys to fully grasp that. And we appreciate it on, on such a, 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 a different level than most because of obviously what we do as a hobby. So I wanted to say thank you. And I wanted to tell you that what you're doing is so, so very important. Uh, and I'll let you guys have the last word. Well, I just want to say thank you. I didn't think it was, I already kind of had my geeked out moment about it. My first basketball game. And I was like, like, I told my mom, my dad, like, this is me on TV. Like I'm doing this, but I didn't realize it was this important until like recently when we watched the, um, like we looked at the Rage and Paging thing and I was like, like people actually watch us. So then that's when like, it's all coming together. Like this is, I didn't know people actually paid attention to us. So I just want to say thank you. One thing I would say is that uh, kind of piggybacking off of what you were just talking about. I remember last year for softball, I can't remember which team we were playing, um, but they came in and, you know, they're sitting in the away section, which is in the outfield. And it was a double header. And I was walking away from my camera for the end of that game one. And a lady came up to me and she told me that they had uh, lived in, if I remember right, uh, Oregon, and uh, which the school was not working at all, but uh, they couldn't go to any of their daughter's home games. You know, they couldn't, they, they flew down for this one because it was a special event, but they, she just expressed her gratitude that, you know, our broadcast and other schools broadcast, that was the only way that she was able to watch her daughter play. And I think that experience is common to a lot of fans and families. So um, I'm glad that we're able to do that for them. I mean, I'm, incredibly grateful for this experience and I feel like I've grown so much and you know our last softball game I was producing and we had Yvette Gerard there for our color analysis and she came by after the truck and she was like you are awesome it's so refreshing to hear a woman's voice and on my headset and it's kind of just been a thing the past three years where it's, I know not on this team I've had to do it, but in the future, I would love to stay in sports, but it's something I have to fight for, unfortunately. Um, and that's just how it is. But um, to hear that, and I'm constantly trying to grab more students to bring on the team and um, Joel's told me he wants like mini me's on the team. Like, Let's find some more girls and let's hype them up, you know? Um, And I've been able to gain that confidence with this team and being able to produce and basically 
be the the big man, the big woman, you know? <laughs> uh, I'll just start off by saying that whenever I went to my interview for this job with Joel, uh, we kind of talked about the sports program and the broadcasting program as a whole. And I went to Arizona State for a little bit of time, and they have one of the top sports broadcasting programs in the country. Like, they have a whole section devoted specifically just to sports broadcasting. And I kind of talked about that to Joel, and he told me that he felt like this program was sort of a hidden gem and to sort of get the broadcasting department more involved in sports. And I think this project that we were able to do, the student-run broadcast, I think it's well on its way to opening up the sports program and expanding the broadcasting department. I mean, Lafayette is continuing to grow, and I think the sports market, you're going to see grow with that. And so I think it's, it's so cool to see that we could possibly be the start of something that could lead to even bigger changes down the road and hopefully see the sports program grow and the sports department grow as a whole and really create more opportunities for sports broadcasting in general. Um, I'd like to say, you know, uh, this has been one of the coolest experiences of my life and any students at UL, if you want to come be a part of the stream team, you know, go to Joel and, uh, you know, he will help you. And even if you don't get to join, he'll help you in some capacity. Um, but yeah, we're always accepting new members and, uh, you know, you could be just like us, but yeah, this has definitely been the coolest experience of my life. It's uh, really cool getting to geek out when you see your camera shot on TV or you hear your voice. Um, not something I ever thought would happen for me, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's amazing. And you can come and join us. <laughs> Nick and Jerry, do you have any last parting shots for this fantastic group? Go ahead. Now, just say thank you again. You you all represent the university so very well. You're so well spoken, Jordan. You said you said a ton. So uh, thank you. We appreciate you, and uh, don't go anywhere. Stay around for a few years. Yeah, as someone who grew up a Cajuns fan, you know, I was always really adamant on getting our brand out, getting the exposure out. And, and like Josh said, it's very important what you guys do, because when you broadcast games, whether it's here in Lafayette or somewhere in Oregon or somewhere in Delaware, somewhere in Maine, somebody's watching and you may inspire somebody to attend the school. Uh, I can tell you firsthand, I have really good friends who had no allegiance to UL, didn't know anything about UL growing up. But when they were on TV, if their baseball team, if our baseball team made a run or the football team made a run in the New Orleans Bowl, it inspired them to become fans. And that's the type of exposure you give to people. So keep up the good work, guys. Y'all are doing a fantastic job. And I'm proud to say that I, I really enjoy your streams and, and keep it up. Keep it up. And uh, Jordan, keep, keep up your role. You're doing a great job being a leader. And uh, an inspiration as well and to the rest of you uh, I look forward to seeing you on many a streams and many a games in the future the stream team for your blue your view your viewing pleasure your listening pleasure thanks for joining us guys really appreciate y'all Jordan Rockstar
Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! The very first edition of Credentialed featuring Mad Miguez, co founder of this here fine podcast, media professional, interviewer extraordinaire. All around nice person. Don't forget Tiger fan. Well, I was going to save that for the end. <laughs> Matthew, what's good? Everything was fine until Nick opened his damn mouth. <laughs> no, man, it, it, in, all, in all seriousness, I'm great. Uh, good to be back on me. Good to hear it, man. Sue, guess we'll get started with some... Prescient news. You know, we know Rock didn't play in the second game at Rice. Is there any doubt that he's going to be in San Marcos for San Marcos? That's like an idiot. Who says San Marcos? It's San Marcos. San Marcos. Is Rock going to be in San Marcos for the weekend? He should. The only reason he missed tonight's game is because the funeral was today. His grandfather's funeral was earlier this afternoon in um, wherever Port Natchez, Texas is. But from what I've been told, he is going to meet up with the team in San Marcos. And the the plan is that he would play throughout the weekend. You know, we never did circle back and wrap up spring football. Now, you had the chance to go to the spring game. And I know we had a lot cooler spring game here than, you know, 50 minutes down the road. I know you had a random <laughs> time at Cajun Field. But, um, you know, but do you, you know, you really started – you really started your, your your job in the middle of spring football. So one of your first probably bigger assignments was to cover Cajuns football during spring practice, kind of check out the roster. What were some things that you got to see? What were what was your experience like covering Cajuns football this spring? What are some positives, some negatives? How was the spring game? Talk a little bit about Cajuns football this spring and what you noticed. Well, I'll give you two names right off the bat that uh, that really impressed me. Patrick Mensa is a man child. I mean, it is freaky how athletic and fast and just all around jacked of an athlete Patrick Mensa is. So that's number one. Number two, look for Jacob Cabote to make an impact in the rushing attack. Amani Bailey and Montreal Johnson left. And so now there, there was kind of a hole at running back. And Kabodi has kind of proven his worth in, in spring. I know for sure in the spring game, 
I mean, he I think he had 60 yards in the spring game. Uh, he ran hard in practice. It was he was a hard guy to bring down. Des talked about it multiple times. Um, he was impressive, and and I know it's spring. I know you're you're going against your own guys, but at the end of the day, that's all you can go off of at, at this point of the year. Um, so again, Jacob Cabote was very impressive. As far as the quarterbacks. I'm going to be honest, I didn't see much out of Chandler Fields. Uh, I, I thought he rushed a lot of decisions. I don't think that he threw the ball very well. Now, did any of them throw the ball very well? I mean, Ben Woolridge had had spurts. But one thing that I will say about Ben Woolridge is his ability to continue to keep a play alive, right? You know, we, you saw that with Levi Lewis a lot where if a play breaks down, he could he, – he ran away with his feet. Ben can do that almost to another level because Ben understands – you can tell that Ben understands when he needs to cut it to the outside and step out of bounds or when he can lower his shoulder and get those extra three yards. Uh, which is which is important because that that shows veteran mentality. That shows that you know how to take care of your body. So that was that was positive to see. Overall, I don't know that this team's going to miss many steps from 2021. It's going to be a new coaching staff. It's going to be new, you know, details here and there. But Des has said it time and time again, they don't need to change a whole lot. So, again, I, I still think this is a 8-10 to 10 win football team this year. Man, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the running game, and I'm glad that they moved Kabodi back to um, his natural position as running well, back. Well, Kabodi requested that. Well, and I know that they were, they were going to use him as a flex, and they I think they moved him to wide receiver almost exclusively last year. My most, I'm most concerned about our offensive line, honestly, our line of scrimmage play in general. And I know that there's a lot of movement on the offensive line. You know, the most important and the most uh, talked about is Jack Harrington moving to center. What did you see in spring ball, whether it be practice, whether it be the game, what did you see that maybe gave you some sort of insight on how, what is the cohesiveness of the line? Is it, do you think Jax fits at center? Did he play? I remember when Cole Pruden was there, and he really didn't have a great spring, but he he emerged before he got hurt as the best center on the team in a backup role, and he really he got an opportunity, he really blossomed. So did you see anything in spring that maybe tells you that Jax Harrington is, is an all-conference center? And also, do you think that the line is developing around him? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I, I didn't see, you know, issues on, on the O-line, which is a positive. Jacks looked comfortable at, at center, uh, which was which was encouraging to see from, from somebody who has very little experience playing center and, and none in college, right? Um, so that was encouraging. I, I thought there was a couple other guys that, that made big contributions – Mackie, Mackie Mahalo, that kid from Mandeville, he is a wrecking ball on the offensive line. I think he'll do a lot of good things. Overall, like like I was like I was saying about the cohesiveness, 
I don't see many things that are going to change from from 2021 to 2022. There might be some new names. There might be some new faces. But the team as a whole, you're going to see the same style of physical smash mouth football. So let's change topics a little bit because I'm interested in this um, because I used to participate in some of the press conferences. What is it like? You know, being on on that side of things now, being an official, you know, member of the media and being able to ask questions at these press conferences. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience in that role now that now that you've uh, upgraded and 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 become big game Matt. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's cool because it, it is cool because you you get to hear insider information from the program, you know, before anybody else does. And it's cool to have the responsibility, if you will, to get that information out to people. Because, you know, I, I sit there with my laptop and, and live tweet some of the things that coaches say during the press conference. So it's cool to have that responsibility to get that news out. And then at the same time, you know, the, the coaches, they stay in coach speak, right? But every now and again, you'll get them to come out of their shell and be the true, you know, Matt Deggs or the true jerry glasgow and they kind of cut up a little bit and when that happens it's really fun matt have you had to ask a tough question yet because uh, that's always interesting to kind of understand how that is becoming you know cordial with these guys and almost friends friendly i guess you could say but then having to ask a tough question that they probably don't want to answer have you had to do that yet not yet uh, i've thought about it a couple times and then you know kind of backed out oh which ones give me give me something what did you back out of? I don't know. Much. I really. We need to re- oh, I got an idea. Let's rename the segment "Questions That You Should Have Asked." <laughs> Let's do it that way. <laughs> Pretend my name is Dak Megs. All right, go ahead and <laughs> ask the question. Well, you know, I can I can remember when when you when we got swept by Troy at the to open conference. You know, that was like my second press conference. And I remember thinking in my head, like, when are we going to stop giving so many freebies? When are you going to stop walking so many people? When are you going to stop hitting so many batters? And, like, so obviously I was going to word that, you know, professionally, right? But I'm sitting there and I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to ask it. I'm going to do it. And I was like, I've been working here for a week. I am not going to be that guy today. And we would be sitting here saying, Matt worked there for a week. (laughs) I think we might be sitting here going, Matt's a legend. Because after five days on the job, (laughs) he asked a real question. But, you know, like I said, it's fun to interact with the coaches on a a personal level. You know, get get to talk to them. You'll have instances where you might get in there. So press conferences start at like 1230. And... If you're if you're like me, you like to get to places 15 minutes early. So I'm sitting there at 12, 15, you know, playing on my computer, waiting for it to start. And Jerry Glasgow just casually walks in the room and strikes up a conversation with you. So, you know, getting to do things like that is pretty cool. Yeah. Is there is there um, one experience that kind of stands out since you've been doing this that that you'd want to talk about? Anything in any, any oh. kind of like you just said, Jerry walking in, having a conversation? De- definitely the time when I, I, I told Deggs to play Rinconis. That was a uh, – and, you know, that w- it was such a simple question that I asked because that was the, the, the phase in the season where Lede would play one game, Rinconis would play, and they were constantly flip-flopping. 
And so I just asked coach the simple question, are you going to keep doing it by committee or have you decided on somebody that you like more than the other? And dude, he looks at me with his just stone cold and he goes, what do you think? And I wanted to come back with coach. I don't make $400,000 to coach this baseball team. But you were probably shaking in your shoes right then, huh? Oh, dude, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm I'm not the one to answer that question. He was like, come on, answer it. I want to know. No, your real answer should have been, let me text man about town real quick and see what he thinks. Give me a second. Thank you, Nick. Somebody finally giving real answers around here. (laughs) But no, like like I said, man, the the press conferences have been fun. Uh, It's a really cool experience to get to interact with other people in the media and the coaches and, you know, especially during football season when you have football players coming in, that that's always fun to, to get to interview players and, you know, see how they react to questions is cool. So speaking of insider information, give us something, man, give us something that we don't know already that we can, you can, you can break a story of some sort right here, right now. What do you got? Um, to, to be honest, I don't, I don't really have one. I don't have anything. You've turned, you've turned totally media right now. You're lying right now. You know, I I swear I I have nothing. I really don't. I, I'm not at the point yet that I've got sources and, you know, people tell me things like I I hear things the same time y'all do. I can say that I technically broke the news that Carson Rockefort wasn't going to play Wednesday. Uh, I was the first one to tweet about it. But I got that. I got that from our group text. Well, I learned on Rage and Pagan that you can know somebody before they're born. Do you guys read that? That was was spectacular. My goodness. I try to to stay off of Rage and Pagan as much as possible. (laughs) Well, you're missing out, buddy. You're missing out. Talk a little bit about the the dynamic now. Um, You know, as you know, our pod, we've always been dedicated to the fans' point of view and – of course, you were you were there in the trenches with us, but now you're kind of on the other side too. So you get the best of both worlds. Talk a little bit about that dynamic, you know, going from being a super fan and now you kind of have to tote the line being in media. How was that? How was that balance or imbalance worked out so far? And just kind of how that how that experience has worked out. Well, you know, it hasn't worked out very well because the first time I stepped foot in Baton Rouge, I got attacked. <laughs> I mean, nah, come on, man. And, and you know, nah, it, it's really nah. funny because we would never do that. No, nah. it, it's really funny because the second that I was told, "Hey, you're you're gonna go cover the LSU spring game," I was like, "Okay, you know that that's fine. You know whatever I got to do." And then in the back of my head, I was like, "Uh oh, that might not be good." <laughs> and then you saw the soda machine, and then it all went to hell. <laughs> From that point forward, Dude, soda okay. machine, Joe Burrow. Here we are. Think about it. You get a cup of ice and you can fill it up as much as you want. I'm sorry, but it's genius. Nick said so <laughs> Joe Burrow. Genius. And here we are. <laughs> and and but then, Nick, what the part that you forgot was that after I filled up my cup, I turned around and saw the pulled pork sandwiches. <laughs> and that's you, where man. it went to hell. Never forget about the hunch dogs. Uh, I warned you. Don't say I didn't warn you. (laughs) But, you know, as as far as the dynamic goes, it's been – it's definitely been an adjustment period. There have been moments where, like, you know, at occasions baseball game, the the fan in me wants to come out and be like, what the hell are you doing? 
and I can't do that, right? Or, you know, like walk-offs. Like, perfect example, the other night when, when we walked off UTA, I was working the game on Friday night, and instead of me being in the stands going crazy that we walked off, I had to sit at my computer, never break expression, and finish writing my game article because I had to get it published as quickly as possible. So I'm just sitting here like, oh, cool, walked it off. You know, that was a I'd say I had an opposite because I was in the press box for so long being in there and like becoming used to doing that. So when I actually got to attend a game, I would almost get kicked out because I was yelling at the umpire the entire time. Like I turned <laughs> I, it into overdrive. Awesome. So I had to kind of back off a little bit, right. especially when we went to the regional LSU. Holy cow. I've never been as close to being in a fight in my life and I'm not a violent person. So, yeah, I kind of had the opposite. I didn't know how to act when I got in public. Yeah, I was about to say, Nick, I remember when I used to work the games with you, um, I remember a few times going up to the press box and we'd get a hit or something and I would start clapping and realize, you know, y'all would turn around and give <laughs> me this look. <laughs> y'all would look at me like, hey, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, sorry. And so I would go back out. But yeah, it, it's a very interesting dynamic because um, I remember volunteering at football games on the sideline and the same thing, you know, we'd get a pick six, you know, that was the beginning of the hood era. So you had 30,000 people going nuts and it was weird, you know, Terrence Brawway would throw a bomb to Daryl Surgeon and the whole crowd would go nuts and I'd have to stand there with my hands in my pockets. It was a very awkward, right. it was very awkward for me. Uh, so I can only, I can about imagine what it must be like for you, especially being in the press box of all places right. uh, where you're not allowed to make any noise. But then like you've, like you've said before, Hey, it pays the bills, right? So you, <laughs> I guess you can sacrifice yeah. a little bit of cheering. And, and, well, let and, me, let me, let me add this context. <laughs> I did get the opportunity to sit in the press box with Crippa and Jay on the road at App State. And let me tell you something. That was one hell of an experience because I got Jay right in front of me calling a game. I'm watching a game. And every single time the Cajuns would do something positive, Chris stands up and is punching the air, sometimes punching me, cussing in, 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 no, not audibly cussing. He's muting himself and cussing and throwing stuff. And he's like, oh, you know. And him, I'll tell you this. When... Levi scored the touchdown. I think it was the second time we went up there. Maybe it was, I think maybe the first, no, it was a second regular season game when Levi scores the touchdown and they had been basically dominating us uh, on offense. Levi scores the touchdown. He turns around and he basically punched me in the face. I mean, like I, the only reason I didn't get punched in the face is because I moved my head and then I got punched in the chest and we we're up there dancing. Like, you know, we had just won the super bowl and that was a super cool experience, but I love that. And I understand, like, you got to be neutral to call a game in certain situations, but, man, hanging out with Krippa in the press box uh, in App State, when Jay, and Jay's just sitting there calm as could be. He may as well not even been there. He was just like, yes, and uh, the Cajun scored a touchdown. And, you know, he gets a little bit excited, but that particular game we were losing, and, and it just wasn't there, and Krippa's just punching everything, and it was great. It was awesome. Yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where and, – and, you know, baseball's kind of that way because – if you if you're inside the baseball press box, you've got Matt Sullivan, you and you've got a couple other guys that you know have been with the program for for years and years, and then in in the far left corner you have me and Kevin Foot. So like, it, it's a professional environment, but at the same time, you know, when you make an error, everybody's like, oh God, because like we're all Cajuns. Like it's, we're all going for the same team. And so 
again, you know, it's a professional environment, but it's more of a laid back professional environment, which I kind of enjoy because I still feel like I can get the best of both worlds in that environment. Uh, but, but football, you know, when you're in a press box of 30 people, including the press of the other team, you can't exactly do that. I just want to say I would pay money to see Kevin Foote in a Saints press box. And oh, I, I would just love to, because you would, you could see the melt. Oh, I could God. see the meltdown in his face when things are happening, and he can't express it. That would be fantastic. I'll, I'll tell you, a, I'll tell you a Kevin Foot story, and it is not Cajuns related. Um, this was a couple weeks ago. It was the week before the draft, and at at Delta Media, where in the in the building where the game studio is, immediately outside the studio, there's like a lobby area. And we're having a content meeting. There's like five of us. And it's during Kevin's show. So Kevin is in the studio doing his show. And it's all quiet. And then out of nowhere, you just hear Kevin Foote going, I swear, if the Saints take a quarterback in the first round. I'm just like, Kevin, relax, dude. Like, we we kind of made a running joke about it. And we even filled Kevin in on it. Like, Okay, over under what day Kevin has a heart attack this week. Because like we all thought it was gonna happen. I hope it never changes. Hope he this is always been that to way. a whole new level. He, he's an entertaining guy. I, I do wonder, right? And maybe I'm guilty of this also, but I do wonder. Will I ever care about something that much for that long and be that upset? I can't answer the question. I, Gosh, I, I know, I know you're not asking that. I, no, no, seriously. You, I mean, you, you are that way about the Rage of Cajuns. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I may be that too, but I'm still young, man. I'm still young enough. I'm not that far removed from you know school and being attacked. And I also live here. The Saints are in New Orleans. It's totally different. It doesn't affect Lafayette, you know. So maybe I'm guilty. That's what I'm saying. Maybe I have a blind spot there, but. It affects the whole state. Of course it does. Here's the thing. The Saints are grown men being paid millions of dollars to play a man's or a young man's game. Okay. And, and, Cajuns, college, and, and college athletes are, are, the, are grown men getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to well, play. Well, not, not in our case. The Cajuns are people that represent us across their uniform and, and, and when they go in national tournaments, whatnot. Uh, but, the, but it's still amateur to, to us. And, you know, you still have some level of, um, I don't know. You can relatability maybe is the word I'm looking for. You still have some sort of an attachment because they represent who you are. The Saints don't represent who I am. I just root for them my whole life. Uh, I still get, I, I don't care that much. Of course I root for the team, but God, I don't know. Foot strikes me as a, just a strange guy. He's a strange guy. Maybe we should reach out to him, get an interview. Uh, but anyway, Matt, don't want to dump on your coworkers, obviously, but I do have one last question before we let you run. Uh, it's been fun on social media since the transition from super fan to media professional. Have you grown tired of being dragged on social media? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I, I made the hockey comment, right? And, and Raging Ryder comes in on Twitter. Oh, I thought the Baton Rouge Kingfish were your team. <laughs> that was awesome. I thought that was great. That, that was, was great. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not some LSU super fan. Do I have an LSU polo <laughs> in my closet? Yes, 
I do. No, you cannot say that on this show. <laughs> do I have purple and gold shoes? Yes, yes, I do. All right, credentials canceled. Scrub the freaking content. Not a fan. He's not a fan. Don't forget. Not a fan. But I'm not an LSU fan. Matt, what exactly does being a fan mean to you? Uh, Caring if they... (coughs) See, he can't even say it. Tiger got his tongue. That's what happened there. (laughs) Caring if they win or lose. I only bought the shoes to match the polo when I have to go cover games in Baton Rouge. Oh, my God. That was ten times worse. <laughs> we were just talking about how you have to be neutral, and here he goes buying LSU crap to wear the – Whoa, whoa, whoa. The, well, hold on. Let Buy me, some let me, gray, man. Let me clarify. Let me clarify. The, the shoes aren't like LSU, LSU. They're just purple and gold. They actually, they're actually licensed for the University of Washington. So I have a question real quick. As a okay. grown man, do you feel comfortable wearing purple and gold shoes just as a man? I mean, they're kind of cool. <laughs> I defer to everybody else. I don't know what the they're, they're cool shoes. Look, Tim Buckley, every damn baseball game, I as long as I knew him covering the Cajuns, wore that stupid faded purple shirt every damn game. And we called him out on it one day. And we're like, why do you wear purple to you, okay. Like, we're not saying you have to wear red. Why do you, of all colors, do you wear purple? And his excuse was, well, that was my high school team's colors. It, that, it, Tim, this sounds like a Buckley excuse you're making Tim, here, Matt. Tim, 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 you trying to piss me off? You, are you trying to piss me off? Tim, you trying to piss me off? That's what, that's, that's what it is. You trying to piss me off? Look, man, at the end of the day, what, what's my shirt say? What's my shirt say? Your feet is kind of spotty. I can't really make it out. In the words of Dan McDonald, Louisiana. What's Luke. behind me? <laughs> Who y'all think I'm a fan of? Come on, man. Don't do that. I think that's a, pod for, a podcast for another day. Uh, it probably could be, unfortunately. The fact that people care that much that I had to go work in an LSU game is is hysterical. Matt, but, Matt has you know, gone full media turn. Um, you hear this? I'm, I'm, gaining, I'm gaining a bunch of followers because of it, so keep it up. That's good. LSU I tried to tell you, you should always have embraced the turn heel culture. You got to go all heel all the time. I'm almost look, Holly, a thousand look, followers. So look, Hulk Hogan rebranded himself when he turned heel and became Hollywood. Okay. I mean, you just got to do it appropriately. Million yeah. dollar Miguez. Spray, spray paint your, uh, your beard jet black, you know, get some <laughs> shades. It'd be pretty sweet. Show the pythons. Go go do go find go find Cayenne and go do the leg drop on him. You know. So uh, you know, I, I gotta let y'all know the next time y'all have me back on, I'm gonna be a whole degree smarter. Wanted to say congratulations from all of us, and I'll let these guys say their piece. But uh, you know, a degree is is no small task. So really cool. Glad you went back and finished everything up. And uh, this is, is a cool moment in your life. So appreciate it and enjoy it. Congratulations, brother. Proud of you. Thanks, guys. I Congratulations, my dude. Enjoy every second of it from your graduation to your party to, you know, just getting that diploma in your hand with your name on it. It means a lot. So um, we're very proud of you, man. And the grind, the grind was worth it, right? We'll see. Ah, no, I think yeah, it yeah. Allegedly. Of, course it, of yeah. course it was worth it. All right, guys, let's do this again soon. No doubt. Ladies and gentlemen. 
the brains behind everything that you've been hearing for the last five years. Matt Miguez. We'll be back for more fun. Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Y'all out there? All right, let's get this thing moving. All right, league update. Very important, so pay attention. The Texas State Bobcats are still the class of the league. 20 and 4 in conference. They are 38 and 11 overall. Just keep winning. They're 8 and 2 in their last 10, and they're 6 and 6 against Quadrant 1 universities. That's pretty sick. Georgia Southern still with their inflated RPI, even though they did not help us against Georgia Tech in the midweek. Blew a seven-run, maybe eight-run lead. Uh, terrible. They still sit with a conference, R- or excuse me, a conference record at 18-6. and six. They are 32-16 overall. Their RPI is at 10 as we speak. It'll probably go up a bit because of that Georgia Tech loss. But they're 6-4 and four in their last 10. Not great. Uh, hopefully they don't have a ton of momentum going into the conference tournament. That would help everybody. The Cajuns are 17-7 in Sunbelt play, 30-17 uh, and 17 overall. We sit at an RPI of 56, and we're staying pat after uh, the RPI killers are basically, you know, keeping us put. Uh, we're staying where we are because of RPI uh, related to Rice, who was like 220, I think. So that didn't help us, but you know, at least it didn't hurt us too bad. The good thing is, is that we are still nine and one in our last ten. Now we're three and six against Q one. If you bring in Q two, we are I want to say seven and eight. It might be a little bit better. Um, our, our record is it dramatically improves if you put the two uh, Q ones and Q twos together, and it looks much better. Still, our our uh, record against 
RPI top 100 is above 500. And we, we really got to keep as many conference mates in the top RPI 100 as possible. I see Georgia State down there hovering at 87. So that's important for those guys to stay in the top 100. Coastal Carolina, as hot as anybody in the country, honestly, they are 16-7-1 in conference play. They are now 29-16-1 overall. They're 8-2 in their last 10, and they're 7-7 seven seven against Quadrant 1 teams. Now, that is a pretty interesting stat. Uh, I would, I would, if I could pull up their Q2, I uh, could probably give you a, a little bit of a better picture, but the point is, is that Coastal Carolina, uh, if anybody's sleeping on them, you need to wake up because they are definitely a player uh, in this postseason. In fact, I think D1 just released their latest projections. Coastal Carolina was in the field of 64, and I want to say Louisiana was number 63 out of 64 as an at-large, as things stand right now. That's without playing the Texas State Series and without the conference tournament. So that's also interesting. Troy at number five in the conference. They're 13 and 11. They are 5 and 5 in their last 10 after they were smoking hot for a couple of weeks there. 29 and 18 overall. They only have three wins against Quadrant One schools. South Alabama, as much as they try to right the ship, it still is just not working. They're 13 and 11 in conference, 27 and 20 overall. They have an RPI of 76, and they are 2 and 9 against Quadrant One teams. Not going to be great for the resume. I did not mention for Coastal Carolina that their RPI was sitting at 47. Uh, That is significant because that puts them as a Quadrant 1 team. As long as they're in the top 50 RPI, they'll be considered a Quadrant 1 team. Very important for everybody to pay attention to. Georgia State, as I mentioned, they're now 12-12 in the league after they started 10-2. Yikes. Uh, 26-23 overall. They have an RPI of 87 and they are 3-7 and seven in their last 10, and they are 7-12 and 12 against Quadrant 1 teams. Incredible 19 teams uh, in Quadrant 1 that they've played against. Pretty crazy. The rest of the league is basically just pulling up the caboose. App State is finding a way to stay relevant somewhat. They're in the RPI Top 120. Uh, well, excuse me, they're at 121 now. They've, they've fallen back just a bit from the live RPI. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They have one win against Quadrant 1 teams. Um, I think that one win is us. Maybe not. Maybe there's somebody else on the schedule that I'm missing. But uh, they're 7-17 seven and 17 in conference and 16-28 and 28 overall. Not really a player right now in conference. ULM, number 10 in conference, and they would be the last team into the Sun Belt Conference Tournament. They sit at 6-17-1 in conference. 16-30-1 uh, overall. Uh, a 184 RPI, and in their last 10, they are 3-7. and seven. UTA, look, they're bad. You know, we shouldn't have... Well, I'll give them credit for being gritty in our series, but they're, they're not good. They're RPI 253. They're 0-11 against Q1 teams and 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They're not good at all. They've won six, game, six games in conference. Arkansas State has won five games in conference. It's bad all the way around in the, in the, the bottom of the Sun Belt which is really dragging down our overall RPI as a conference. If UTA and Arkansas State have could have won anything out of conference, we'd be much better off. So really, out of that, you're looking at Texas State, you're looking at Georgia Southern, you're looking at the Cajuns, and you're looking at Coastal. And to a small deg- degree, Troy, but I, I really think that Troy just hasn't done enough to really be in contention outside of making noise in the tournament. Guys, if, if there was a team that you had to say that you were somewhat worried about outside of the Cajuns 
and and you know I'd even say Texas State and Georgia Southern. Don't worry about them. Obviously, we know they're in contention. Is there somebody below us, like a Coastal, like a Troy, like a South Al? Is there is there a team that you would say watch out, a um, little bit nervous about? Maybe Coastal. Man, they really turned it around though, didn't they? Because they they got off to pretty okay start. It was um, rough. It was. They rough. got swept, right? Didn't they get swept um, early in the season? I think by Georgia State, maybe. Georgia yeah, Southern or Georgia State? No, it was Georgia State because I remember yeah. looking at their schedule when we were going into their game. That's right. Yeah. So, um, they um they struggled at the beginning of the season, but man, they're really putting it together. I think if a team's, I think the team that's going to make a run at the at the end of the season that I'm scared of in the in the tournament, um, again, Coastal. I mean, they've already done it to us once in the tournament where they they beat us at home to win it. Um, so they they know how to win. Their program knows how to win, and they've been they've been relatively successful um, since joining the league. Obviously, right off of a, a World Series championship, so um, Coastal Coastal's the one that I think that I'm I'm looking out for in the tournament to to make some noise. You know, I would say Coastal, but looking at their schedule this weekend, they go to Troy. So you have a Troy team, like you just mentioned, Josh. They're kind of the outside team looking in for a regional bid in the conference. So this is a great opportunity for Troy, especially at the fact that we know they play well at home. I mean, <laughs> we know, right, uh, after they swept us in that in that first uh, conference series. But, um, yeah, Coastal, Coastal's, they, I think they're 11 and one in their last 12 conference games. Um, so they're, they're, they're kind of hot, but at the same time, going to Troy on the road with Troy kind of having their backs against the wall, they're going to be challenged this weekend. Uh, not to mention to close out the season, they play at home against South Al, another team with their backs against the wall. And you really don't know what you're going to get from them. They're very volatile this year. So uh, yeah, coastal scares me a little bit because they are that team that can jump us at the same time. They do have uh, two weeks of challenges uh, to close out the conference in regular season. Um, a team that I'm kind of, I would say another team would obviously be Georgia Southern, mainly because their schedule is a little bit easier to close the season out. Uh, if you look at their schedule, they actually go, um, they actually close out at Little Rock this weekend, and then they host UTA um, the final week. So they kind of have a little bit of an easier path. And, of course, we, we want to jump them, but it's going to be a little bit of a, a tougher task for us to do that based on their schedule. So you hope for a slip up. Uh, at the same time, we put ourselves in good position to, uh, to, to jump by default if we take care of business against Texas State because guess where Texas State has to go the last week? They have to go to Georgia State. And in spite of Georgia State not playing as well, you know, and in spite of us sweeping in Atlanta, Georgia State has a track record of playing well at home. So it, it makes it fun because really all of these different scenarios in the span of 10 days – a lot can change between now and then. So um, I just think at the end of the day, we need to take care of business. I know it's cliche when I say that, but um, I do think that we can definitely solidify at a minimum, a top three, top four seed in the, in the, in the tournament, in the tournament. I obviously want to solidify top three because I believe it's the top. Is it the top three seeds that get the first, that get the buy who gets, it's the two seeds that get the buy, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I obviously want to get get the buy, but um, I still think, in spite of not getting in the the buy and playing the extra game, I still think we're in good shape as far as matchups go. But of course, you want to get the best case scenario uh, into the tournament. But yeah, a lot a lot can happen in the next ten days based on those uh, those schedules. 
Speaking of taking care of business, let's look at Texas State. I don't know how familiar our fan base is with the team. Uh, I've watched them seven or eight times this year. Obviously watched the two Texas uh, games, which were epic, by the way. Really good baseball, really good college baseball. I watched a few conference games. They've got a lineup. They have pitching. Uh, some names that we obviously know. Uh, Tristan Sivers comes to mind. But I, I really kind of I wanted to kind of dig deep on them, and I know we, we kind of coordinated it before. So Nick told me that he put together some statistical comparisons, and I'm, I'm curious to see what he's got because, you know, we this is one of the biggest series in recent memory. Um, the postseason, we're on the brink. And if we can't show up and, and be our best at our best at the, the time that we need to be our best, then we don't deserve to be in the postseason. So curious to see how we match up with Texas State. Yeah, and this, again, is is purely statistical. I just wanted a base to, to, to get a better understanding of how we match up with them going into the weekend. Um, batting averages, Texas State is hitting 300. We're hitting 275. The real difference is going to be in their slugging. Texas State slugging almost 500. They're at 499. Uh, we're slugging 438. So so that's a, a pretty big discrepancy there. Home runs, power hitters, uh, as you see with their slugging, they're, they're, they're hitting 69 home runs on the season. We've got 43. Um, so, again, uh, advantage Texas State. They When they're hitting, they walk a lot. They're very patient. They have 262 walks on the season compared to our 179, which is not surprising because I get so frustrated that sometimes we're just swinging at at trash first pitches. Oh, um, Dig, Dig said on the broadcast the other day, he said, we're hard to walk. Yeah. And he laughed about it. And I was like, well, so true. Don't laugh at that. That's a problem. <laughs> uh, they also, I mean, strikeouts, they don't strike out a whole lot. They, they've got 350 strikeouts versus our 416, again, um, showing their patience at the plate. So our bullpen's going to have to really step up this weekend uh, against a really good power-hitting team that there aren't a whole lot of holes in that lineup. If you look at it from top to bottom, man, they, they, they all can swing it. Um, as far as pitching goes, we actually have a, an advantage in pitching. We, we have a 4.08 ERA. They're 4.3. So not that far off. We're, we're pretty even there, but we have a slight advantage. Um, surprising to me that they actually give up more walks than we do. They get they gave up 196 walks to this point this season. We gave up 179. And then uh, pitching-wise, strikeouts, pretty much the same. They, they struck out 427 batters. We we struck out 416. So interesting in the, you look at their two relievers that, that I call them the Tristan brothers because they're both named Tristan, but they, they're so good. And, and uh, one of them has an eight, no record on the season. And just a, a two, I think his ERA is two. It's, it's ridiculous. So you look at those two guys and I'm thinking, you know, they're going to blow us out the water in pitching, but then you look at it and we actually, you know, we can, uh, a lot better than I expected head to head with those guys. So uh, moral of the story is they're a damn good team. I think maybe the only weakness they may have is a couple of fielders are prone um, to errors, to making fielding errors. We feel better than them. We, have, we, we feel that uh, 973, they're at 964. But other than that, man, I, you struggle to find, find really anything bad that this team does. So those errors, if they do give up errors in the field, we've got to capitalize. And, and, and you know, again, um, as Deg said, we're, we're hard to walk. Yeah. I mean, we've got to find some way 
to be more patient at the plate because I'm telling you, they'll expose us there if we, if we give them that opportunity. I don't really – I haven't come across many opportunities as a whole, right, as a team that I felt like we were just so overly aggressive at the plate. I mostly like our approach at the plate. So it is uh, – when he made the comment, it jogged my memory. I was like, holy shit, we really are hard to walk. We swing in a lot of pitches. But to this point, I, I pretty much feel like we've been on point with our approach. So that was kind of an interesting dynamic. Jerry, uh, their, their schedule is going to tell the story between, between the story, right? So is there anything that you came across that jumped out at you, uh, surprised you, um, something that you can kind of take into our series for some context? Yeah, I'll kind of go through the schedule a little bit. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Obviously, they you know, play over 50 games. It's a lot to talk about, but I'll, I'll get to the basics. So you mentioned a few of the thing, uh, the facts already. They're 38 and 11 overall. They're 23 and 6 at home. So they play well at home, but they're also 15 and 5 on the road. So they're one of those teams that can they'll take on take you on anytime anywhere uh right now they're 20 and 4 in conference first place obviously 8 and 2 in the last game last 10 games like you had mentioned they have an rpi of 39 but their strength of schedule is 144 and their non-conference strength of schedule is 145 so if you look at some of those wins earlier in the season um there are some teams that they played that weren't quite up to par with, let's say, our non-conference schedule, right? You know, they didn't have a round rock tournament. They didn't play a Southern Miss or or UC Irvine. Uh, I want to say they played um, – they, they actually had some decent uh, opponents to start. Uh, I want to say they started with – Oh, let me see here. I just had a brain fart. Sorry about that, guys. But well, I know uh, they, no. had, they had Texas early on because I watched those two games. Well, that was a midweek game, though. That was a mid uh, right. midweek game, uh, two midweek games back to back, kind of like we we faced with um with with the last two games against Rice. Um, but believe it or not, they actually went on the road to Arizona and took two out of three. Now Arizona for context is sitting at a 40 RPI. I think they're like 32 and 16 and they're pretty competitive in the pack 12. Um, so that was a really impressive series win for them. Uh, ah, that's who it was. They opened up with Utah Valley. They opened up with Utah Valley, took three out of four, but Utah Valley 16 and 32. Same thing against Ohio state. They swept Ohio state. Now you're thinking, okay, that's a, that's an impressive win. Big 10 school. Ohio State 17 and 28 with a 135 uh, RPI. So, and, and oh, and by the way, they also had another three game series against Southern. They go for three for three, play Prairie View after that, go four and no during the week, playing two SWAC schools back to back before going to Arkansas State, swept them. So they were able to cushion their schedule a little bit. At the same time, with that said, Besides the fact that they took two out of three uh, at Arizona, the fact that they've split with Texas, they swept Ohio State, they've only lost one co- uh, one series all season long, which was to Georgia Southern. Uh, that was about, a, I want to say about a month ago, early April. And that was uh, in San Marcos, correct? That was in San Marcos. And one of those games, I believe they lost in extra innings. I believe it was the Friday night game. So they had to grind, or Georgia Southern had to grind to win but they lost that series and that's been the only weekend series they've lost all year. Um, after losing to Georgia Southern, I believe they lost a midweek game following that. But since then they've been 15 and two. Um, and of course, a lot of that goes into their conference record at 20 and four. So they're really, I mean, look, they've, their competition has been up and down 
Um, you know, their strength of schedule is not the best, but at the same time, you go to Arizona and take two out of three. That's very respectable. You give Texas all they can in two games. That's very respectable. So, um, you know, looking at their schedule, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to gauge, but they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. They're 20 and four in conference. I mean, that, that should tell you enough right there. So, you know, I've kind of ranted a little bit about it, but overall, um, they're still a competitive team. I mean, you don't go 38 and 11 and, and not be, and not be good. So um, I do like the fact that we are catching fire at the right time. So hopefully we can be that second team to, uh, to, to out, to outscore them in a series. Yeah, no question. And, and that first Texas game, they should have won. They kind of got hose on the, if you didn't watch the game, there was a weird shot up the middle. This pitcher, somehow or another caught this ball, turned a double play, big momentum killer, whatever. I won't bore you guys with the details, but uh, very good and competitive baseball game. So Texas State is obviously the most important thing that's in our purview right now. I mean, you got to go and at the end of the day, you have to take two of three. I don't think anybody's expecting the team to go over there and sweep. If you can, wonderful. But the goal is to go to San Marcos and take two of three, period. I don't win the series. If you want to play in the postseason, that's the goal. And I don't think anybody would argue with that. I think we all understand how good Texas State is. The numbers speak for themselves. The talent speaks for this, for itself. Um, you know, if you guys remember, Texas State was very, very good on that COVID-shortened year. And then last year they came back and, I mean, they just totally flopped. And Jay made a great point about the team is – Experienced, but they're older. They have a lot of upperclassmen. Tristan Sivers is like 30. Uh, they, they've got a lot of guys on that squad that they've played a lot of collegiate baseball. Wolfrich, all these guys. So not only are they talented, they're experienced. They know the game. They, they, I, they've been through some high highs and some low lows. So you never want to play a team that understands what it means and they, they have experienced good and bad and uh, they're a dangerous baseball team, and uh, this is going to be a great series this coming weekend, and it's exciting. It's an exciting time for collegiate baseball. It's an exciting time to be a Cajuns fan. We're back on the conversation. That's what matters. We're chasing a berth, a playoff, or well, a postseason berth. And you know what the best part about it is? Texas State right now is saying a lot of the same things about us. They're a dangerous team. Can't yeah. sleep on them. You know, look at their schedule second half of the season. So, that to me just this tells you how great of a series this is going to be. No matter what the outcome, it's going to be fun. Yes. And I think what's important too, Nick, based on the stats that you mentioned um, about you know their hitting and their slugging percentage, it makes me wonder. It, it, we've we've come hot as of late. I'm kind of curious to see their stats in the last ten to twelve games because their competition hasn't really been. I wouldn't say it's been massive competition over the past three or four weeks. And I know we've kind of faced similar competition as well. So I'm kind of curious to see, like, you know, the slugging percentage, the hitting average, the batting average, uh, the number of hits, the, the ERA. I've been, I'm kind of curious to see what it's been over the last few weeks as opposed to where we are. Because, like you said, Josh, you've got, we've got three or four guys that are hitting over 400 as of late. I'm wondering if they have any batters like that. I mean, look, that that's going to be a, a huge huge factor going into this weekend of, of whether or not they have momentum as like, like we do right now. Well, my only pushback on that is that Texas state is in a position of power because their resume, they've built themselves up to be where they're supposed to be. We have had our backs against the wall for already a couple of weeks and we still have it. I think that our, our lineup is definitely rounding out. 
Um, but I just think that we're on we're we're in totally different mindsets. I think that Texas State has been so far ahead of the fray that they're may, they may be on cruise control a little bit, so they may be more vulnerable. I think that our team is in a an advantage an advantageous position because we are the hunter and have been for a couple of weeks and going forward. Like we're fighting for our lives every time we go out. Texas State is not in that position. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic. I'm interested to see how that's going to go. Yeah, another thing, too, that was um, that that I saw last weekend against ULM because I did catch a couple of those games. I mean, ULM should have beat them on Friday night. I mean, they had the game. No doubt. And then, then, then all of a sudden, you know, Texas State comes back in the eighth and, and takes a lead, and, the, and then ULM can't come back from that. And on Sunday, it was another one-run 5-4 game. So, um, yeah, to your point, Josh, I think that is important that that we have been clawing and fighting the entire season um, and 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 they're maintaining their success. So, again, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great series. And I anticipate it's going to be some great baseball that we see this weekend. Man, I tell you what. Man, I tell you what. There's a lot of buzz going around Reinhardt Drive at the moment. Softball is in the middle of its conference title run as they grind through the Sunbelt Tournament. Baseball is continuing its drive and getting into the postseason for the first time in six years. Summer is approaching, which means one thing. The talks of football will will be beginning to ramp up. Also adding to that, we are just a little over a month and a half away from welcoming four new schools into our conference. Yeah, a lot is happening in such a short amount of time as we near the end of the 2021 and 2022 athletic year. One thing remains the same, and that's the constant attempt to grow our brand. Here at Rage Review, our motto is pushing the brand across the land. And we pride ourselves on that. Whatever we can do to spread the Raging Cajun name to people, we will do. Because it's extremely important. As I was recently watching one of our games on ESPN Plus, I couldn't help but take time to notice being called Louisiana on the scoreboard. Now, even though this has become more of a norm, it was really the first time I sat there and really appreciated it as a fan who sat through the many different abbreviations and versions of our brand over the last few decades. For years, we have strived to find a consistent identity at the university level. Whether it was from the number of university name changes we have been through to the way we brand ourselves athletically. This task, safe to say, hasn't been easy. Because of the typical Louisiana State paradigm, the Louisiana brand name associated with our university has probably been the most consistent off-the-field controversial topic in this area. We have been through it with the state. We have been through it with other in-state schools and their supporters. And we have been through it with local and national media outlets. Just last week, a local newspaper addressed us as Louisiana Lafayette in one sports story that they covered, or should I say in one sports story that they covered us in while the rest of the top stories was about real important subjects like the LSU Beach Volleyball game or a latest transfer to the LSU women's basketball program. Not one story about UL softball's conference championship or UL's or UL baseball's weekend sweep. 
but I will save that discussion for later in this segment. We have even been through this brand debate, if you will, with our own conference. Yes, it has been a challenge that has created a fire within our fan base to earn the recognition that we have strived for and ultimately earned. Dating back to 1984, we all know this battle. When the school changed its name to the University of Louisiana before it was suddenly met by opposition from the state legislature in order to protect the brand of another in-state institution 50 miles to the east of us. The flagship, the flagship, where the flagship, or know your place, were pretty much the counter-arguments we would hear, and we still even hear that now. Take a look at the scoreboard when we go play there, and the three letters that we specifically asked not to be called are there for everybody to see. But here's the thing. That's really not our problem. That's their problem. And ultimately, it creates a sense of proud defiance from our fans and supporters to that school and the old way of thinking when other, sc- other schools honor our wishes. A rally cry that we are not in debt to anyone but our own institution. You know, here at UL, we don't just eat a term like flagship to classify who we are because it's not about the term itself, but what you actually do with it really matters. Everything we have earned here, we have gotten our hands dirty and worked hard for. From our play-by-play guy, Jay Walker, calling us Louisiana as far back as 2000 on the radio, to our current administration bravely requesting the conference and other schools to call us by this name. That is how you win in branding. And with success breeds recognition on a bigger stage. Take the success of our football program. There was nothing more satisfying as a fan than seeing Louisiana in bold letters on ESPN with a number next to it. And that number, of course, our ranking. There was nothing more satisfying than seeing talking pundits take to social media and sports shows talking about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And really, there was nothing more satisfying and quite frankly hilarious than watching fans of other in-state schools run to their Twitter accounts saying things like ULL with an asterisk next to it or an overplayed, that's not their name, jab. And you know why it's hilarious now? Because that paradigm that the state's going through, it's finally starting to shift. The perception is changing, and there's really nothing they can do about it. The old ways of complacency that has plagued our community with this subject pretty much has one foot out the door. Why do you guys think I was so adamant in discussing our university being a Carnegie R1 research institution? Did you know that we are only one of maybe 130 to 140 universities that have this honor? Well, when you're in the same boat as schools like Boston University, Stanford, Harvard, or University of Texas, that does say something. Now you're cooking with fire. Another win in your brand, both academically and athletically. Want want to move to a bigger conference one day? Because remember, university presidents vote on memberships, and we just got a huge lifeline with this classification. Again, that is how you earn what you want to be called. Man, I tell you what, it has been a long road to get to this point, and there's still work to be done for that recognition. But the next time you see Louisiana on the scoreboard, I hope you take the time to appreciate the many years it took to get to this point. And take the time to appreciate what the name stands for, not only for our state, 
but a resilient university that has defied odds even in the face of opposition and state paradigms. Then I tell you what. Great job, Aver. Really good. Jerry dropping bombs tonight, man. Nick, I'm going to let you carry us out. I, I I love your term for the advertiser, you, you know, the advertiser. That's spectacular. Your takes on what has happened over the last couple of weeks. And I know you've been vocal on Twitter and social media, but Jerry, Jerry touched on something. We're asking, we're asking the most legendary USL quarterback about the LSU battle, quarterback battle. I mean, what are we doing here? Then we've, we've got no stories on a conference championship team in softball. We've got nothing on a postseason run for baseball. This, this is a story program in this state. We got none of that, but we've got an LSU beach volleyball story headline. It is inadequate. It's embarrassing. It's unacceptable. And like I said on Twitter, revoke their credentials because they don't deserve to be there because obviously they don't care and they don't want to be there. And you got a guy who's supposedly doing double duty and covering the Cajuns, you know, as, as a, I guess we should be thanking them for having somebody cover us. And, and he's not even covering us. Like you said, he gets the most recognizable name in UL football and, and asks him and, and links him somehow in some crazy alternate universe to LSU. You, you had the guy who you can talk UL football to because you're supposed to be covering us, you know, temporarily. And you ask him and you link him to LSU football. Why don't you go ask Alex Bregman about the second baseman at Southeast Missouri State? Because that's about as ridiculous as as this was. It was embarrassing. It was dumb. It was a complete reach. And again, he had the opportunity to talk about our program with a recognizable alumnus. And he chooses to go that route. So like I said, I'm done. I mean, I've been done for a while. I think our fans are done. Um, I told you how many impressions I got on Twitter off of that one tweet about them not saying one thing about softball winning the championship. So um Others are getting fed up too. Uh, and I don't, I mean, thankfully we, sadly enough, I'm going to say, thankfully we have the advocate who is based 60 miles down the road in another school's territory to cover us. Very glad we have them. Cause obviously we don't have a hometown paper. It's embarrassing. It's disgraceful. Um, I, I just, you, you look at the sports page and the top story was LSU volleyball, beach volleyball, uh, a transfer that they got through the transfer portal for the women's basketball team. And yet there was no story about this was Saturday morning, by the way, after there the were Cajuns five articles off. about the LSU volleyball, whatever the, the five articles, not a, this is, this is the day after UL softball just clinched another conference title. Oh, by the way, our nationally ranked softball team forgot about that. Uh, baseball had just walked off UTA, keeping their name in the hunt for a regional. And the last, and then of course they talk about beach volleyball, the last UL story up to that point, this is May 7th, I believe the last UL story up to that point was May, April 30th when Levi Lewis signed with Seattle. That's, that's unacceptable. Oh no, Um, I think they had a baseball article, but they used the Monroe new star article where they called us 
Louisiana Lafayette and ULL, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we, so I guess we should be thanking them for that coverage because at least we got, you know, baseball in the newspaper with the Monroe news story. That was cool. You know what, what they need to do and um, shut down. That's what they well, need to do. Here's, here's how we can fix it. Matt needs to go get Joe Burrow to uh, talk about the UL quarterback situation since he's got the, uh, the inside scoop. So <laughs> That that's that's we'll ask Matt if he wants to do that. Call Joe Burrow up and talk about the UL quarterback situation because that's kind of what they did. They 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 you know they went after our former quarterback to go talk about their you know the LSU quarterback situation, which is absurd if you ask me. But whatever. Hashtag revoke the credentials. We're we're starting the movement. We're starting Let's get that trending. Let's get it trending. All right, folks. Thanks again for joining. At Raisin Review on all social media platforms. Join us for the fun. Appreciate the support. Let's go beat Texas State. <laughs>